Welcome to the inaugural episode of Devil Horns. My name is Corey. I am one of three hosts on here. Uh, This is a podcast, a brand new show, all about our love of heavy metal music. Now, uh, with me are two other men who have loved heavy metal music their entire lives. We call ourselves metalheads because that's what we love. First off, um, my host to my right, or my co-host to my right is a man that you heard on my other podcast, The Electric Chair. And uh, the chemistry between us two is what really started this off and uh, what uh, sort of gave us the idea of, hey, we need to start another show all about metal because this is fun. This is stuff we really, really love and are passionate about. Uh, Mike Zombie, welcome, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. This is going to be so much fun. I can't can't wait. I can't wait. This is... uh... I've been needing a show like this for a long time, and hopefully the listeners have as well. Yeah, yeah, I think they do. Um, tell everybody a little bit about you um, and sort of, uh, I don't know, how you uh, came to love metal just very briefly and, um, I don't know, the, the kind of fan that you are and maybe a little bit about your podcasting history because uh, all three of us actually have been podcasting for quite a while. Sure. Um, Okay, well, born in the rough streets of Oakland and raised in the very safe southern city of Fremont, uh, south of there. Uh, Was a stoner growing up into heavy metal. And um, luckily, when I was younger, I was exposed to the end of the first real wave of punk um, when I was a youngster. And uh, loved punk, loved the speed of it, loved the kind of chaos sound. And uh, then, magically, I heard uh, Leper Messiah. And it turned me on to metal, and it just it just caught me, and it took me mentally and just spiritually on a ride. And it, it was it was aggressive, it was power, and I knew it was something I really really wanted to hear more of. And uh, so just from there, started attending local concerts and being in the San Francisco Bay Area. There was always a giant concert coming through town, and I uh, was exposed to a lot of great bands, uh, especially the one we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, grew up. I now live in Los Angeles, and I am an, a podcaster on a Little Dead podcast, co-host there, and um, on my own website, Faildozer, and uh, here at Devil Horns. So um, great to be with you guys, and um, Nick. I, I am hear about New Jersey Nick. Nick. I am New Jersey Nick. I am New Jersey Nick. I am from the Slasher Cast. And the Slasher Cast is a horror podcast. Most of you uh, might know me from there. I don't know if you do or not. But I am one of the five middle fingers. We are brutally honest when it comes to horror movies. That's what I, I have in the way of uh, uh, podcasting cred. Also, if you go to NewJerseyNick.com, you'd see I'd write about fucking cheeseburgers. That's something that I do. Awesome. Just deal with that. Also, I did that tonight. My metal history... My f- going back to when I first got music uh, as a kid, I was probably like 12, maybe 13. No, I was probably 12 ish. I don't really know. I remember my first tapes. I got Tom Petty's greatest hits, and the more important one is the second one White Zombies Astro Creep 2000 on cassette. And uh, yeah, so ever since then, I floated around through different things throughout metal, uh, different industrial stuff, 
in the 90s. Um, I've kind of grown to more groove and prog metal in my adulthood, uh, metalcore stuff. There, there's a lot of different stuff I listen to. I don't focus on anything really exclusively, so it's pretty cool um, to be here. And I'm glad we're going to be able to, to you know, spread the love of what we love to you. My goal with this podcast, my mission statement, is that we are going to be guys who are going to be here to recommend cool shit for you. We are your metal friends where you just don't have any. Maybe you're sitting in a fucking cubicle at work or riding to work on the train or something, and you just don't have those people in your life anymore to tell you, hey, this is cool, check this out. We can be that for you, and you should be that for us, too. Hit us up on Twitter, at DevilHornsCast. Um, email us. Do whatever. Just let us know, and we'll let you know. We can go back and forth on this all all the time. Right, right. What I loved hearing you say, Nick, was all about being brutally honest, uh, which you are in SlasherCast, and uh, I mm-hmm. hope you are uh, as well on here. I, I, I know you will be, and, and, and Mike, you too. And that's something that's really important here. Uh, we're just going to say exactly what we think and uh, exactly who we would recommend uh, all, the, all this music to uh, because there are fans out there for everything. This is such a wide spectrum. There's heavy metal music, and then it sort of branches down into so many different subgenres, so many different bands. I mean, it's, it's actually amazing. Um, just the research I was doing for this show, you know, I thought I knew uh, just when we were sort of uh, getting this started, you know, I, I thought I had a pretty good grasp on sort of the spectrum of heavy metal. And then I started actually doing some homework for the show and preparing and stuff, and it just keeps branching and branching and branching. And there's oh, so yeah. many things going on, and um, a, a wide spectrum of fans too. You know, today if you're a heavy metal fan today, you could be a totally different sort of heavy metal fan than somebody else because oh, yeah. you know, all you know maybe somebody is really really into black metal, and over here somebody is really really into prog metal. You know, and the two don't always intermix, and uh, we're going to cover the spectrum uh, of uh, heavy metal music here, try to bring people together, uh, discover some great music, recommend some great music for you to listen to, and uh, we're just going to be us, and uh, we have nobody to uh, to please here, really, except ourselves, so that's, <laughs> that's what it's about, so... Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, like I said, I am Corey. My cred here is um, I've been podcasting uh, since about 2006. I actually started out with a uh, a music-only podcast. I, my goal was to write one song a day for as long as I possibly could and just release it as a podcast. Um, and just doing uh, first take different songs, and I'd write songs about zombies, about beer, about whatever, and uh, you know, sort of put them out there. Um, then I inherited the Midnight Podcast uh, around 2008 or 2009 from Root Rot, and that was a zombie podcast all about zombie movies, zombie culture, and things like that. Um, then I moved on to do a more general podcast just called Midnight Corey, because that was sort of the name that people were calling me because I did the Midnight Podcast. And uh, now I am doing The Electric Chair, which is uh, a horror interview podcast. So I'm interviewing people in the horror industry, whether it's film, literature, music, whatever. Um, I like to talk to uh, all kinds of people who uh, are influential in horror. And uh, I also am a co-host on the Evil Episodes podcast with uh, Mike and Jamie. And we cover television horror and video games as well. And uh, so it's funny, we all sort of come from horror podcasting and we all love metal. And guys, that's something that I've found ringing so true 
with a lot of horror fans that I've interacted with throughout the years is that, uh, you know, you'll be talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, one minute and next minute, you know, somebody brings up how much they love Morbid Angel. And uh, you start talking about the new singer of Morbid Angel and was he as good as the old guy, you know. And so these two they do go hand in hand. Interest, they do. They do. It's nuts. And uh, but not really. Not really. It actually makes sense in a lot of regards. Um, but uh, yeah, that's who we are. That's who we are. And thank you both for joining me here. It's uh, truly an honor that we can uh, do this. And uh, this podcast, just to give you uh, an overview of what we're dealing with here, we're going to do this twice a month. The show is going to be released the first Monday of the month and the third Monday of the month. Now, of course, uh, this is going to be released the third Monday in July. Um, So the third Monday, we're sort of doing different uh, topics on each show each month. So um, today we're doing more of a theme topic, more of a band topic, sort of more general. The next show, which will be the first Monday of the month, will be an album review show where we're going to pick one album. Uh, each of us, we're just sort of going to uh, rotate every month. You know, one of us is going to pick an album and the rest of us are going to review it together. Um, so that'll be next episode. And then we'll alternate again. You know, the third Monday in, in August, we'll have another more general thematic sort of show. And uh, there we go. And uh, everything is somehow going to be connected. You know, today we're talking about a band. And uh, Mike Zombie, you're going to be the one to uh, choose our first album review for the next show. And uh, you're going to have to uh, somehow justify your choice by connecting it with uh, today's topic. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to find a way. (laughs) That's why it's going to be fun. You know. For, uh, forcing you to be resourceful and, and the, the connection can't be I own both of them yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I own these two CDs yeah yeah it's gonna be a little deeper than that so uh, oh, fine. yeah it's gonna be fun but we'll get into uh, next episode of course at the end of this episode so oh guys I think I covered all the uh, sort of uh, business uh, part of the uh, oh I, we do have feedback too I have to mention that uh, because next episode on top of the album review we're also going to make that our listener feedback episode. So uh, no matter uh, what you're talking about, whether it's our theme episode or maybe one of the one of the album review episodes, maybe you're way behind in podcasts and you're talking about one of our older episodes, you know, down the road. Doesn't matter as long as you call in or write us either through email, which is metal at devilhorns.org, or um, you know, there's a contact form on the website that you can uh, write us through. Or um, the voicemail line, like I said, which is 206-337-6641. You can call us, leave us a message, tell us why we were just completely wrong about our review, maybe about our assessment of a certain band or or whatever. Uh, Let us know what you think, how we're doing. And uh, yeah, we want to hear from you because you guys out there listening right now are just uh, other metal fans just like us. And we're hanging out with you guys and we want to know what you think. So, uh, but... If you do take your time to offer some feedback to us, uh, no matter how you do it, and uh, we mention it on the show, play it on the show, uh, you'll be entered in every month for uh, a free download uh, from Amazon.com. We're going to give you a free song download. And uh, so all you have to do is just call in, write in, and just for that effort, we appreciate it so much that we'll be um, giving you a a song to download for free, completely legal, you know, we'll uh, send you out the link and everything where you can redeem your prize. So that's how much we just really want to get all the listeners involved here as well. So everybody's opinion is very, very valuable. So 
that's uh, that's feedback. And like I said, we'll be doing that in our album review episode just to sort of round things out a little bit. So once a month, call anywhere during that month and you're in. But you're only in once. So if you it's not like you can call four times and then send me some emails and, and everything and then think you're in like 10 times. Like that's not how right. it works. You know, you're, we'll you're in once. Most interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's what it is. So yeah. Um, anything else, you guys? That uh, you know, as far as uh, how this podcast is gonna gonna run or what we're all about here, before we get into the real meat and potatoes of the episode. Um, I would add that you mentioned to, to please call in and let us know if if you if you can disagree, but please be constructive with that feedback. Let me know why I should I should hear this music the way you do. Fill me in as to what I'm missing, not just, oh, Mike's an ass. Let me know. I Yes, but, but let me know what I'm missing out on and tell me what, what's, the, what's the song I should hear first and why should I love that band? And I'll investigate. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, want, I want you to inform me just as much as we're hooking you up with stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, we expect sort of just the same respect from you guys that we're going to give to you because uh, one thing that we do take very seriously is how personal music is to a lot of different people. And even though it, uh, I might not connect with a certain band or a certain sub-sub-genre, um, that doesn't mean that there aren't a whole lot of other people out there who do and who love it and take it very personally, and, and it, it holds deep meaning for them. And the last thing I want to do is bash anybody, you know, make anybody feel inferior or bad just because they like a certain band. You know, that's not what we're all about. We're here to celebrate music and to talk about great music and and turn other people on to stuff we love. And um, so but we expect that from you, too. So at least if you think we're completely wrong and we're dumbasses, at least give us an argument. I mean, give us a little bit of something to chew on, a little bit of thought into that uh, why your band is just... uh, that great and uh we will take it into serious consideration and just appreciate all the respect it's all about respect so yeah but uh nick anything else you'd like to add before we really get into it no i just want to um talk about metallica now cool cool well let's take a quick break we're going to listen to some metallica right now i'd like to present to you a quick montage of metallica's entire career and then we're going to tackle that topic. Is it good or is it bad? We don't know, but what did happen to Metallica? Opening music for Devil Horns is taken from the song Killdozer by Strychnia from their EP Reanimated Monstrosity. Find Strychnia at facebook.com forward slash Strychnia.
Well, our theme of our very first episode here at Devil Horns is Metallica. And uh, Mike, you, you and I sort of, uh, we threw this around after, of course, our, our podcasting before. Just yeah. like, man, we ought to talk about what happened to Metallica. That would, that would make a great show. And, and that's the title now of this show is What Happened to Metallica. Um, now, for some people, that can be a very positive thing because they've gone through so many changes throughout the decades um, but for a lot of people, that's also a very negative thing. And Metallica has lost a lot of fans throughout the years, and uh, we'll talk about that. But um, uh, so, Mike, um, I don't know. Obviously, you have a passion for Metallica, and just uh, you know, before we we're uh, recording here tonight, uh, we we're talking about just like uh, they were a band, at least at one point in our lives, that we loved. That we absolutely love. So, uh, just real generally here, I mean, what's so special about Metallica? At least what's, at least that moment in time for you that makes Metallica that special. No, there's a, the, a couple of reasons for me. One, because they were the band that got me into into metal. Uh, that was the the big leap for me. So it was special to me to discover their music and to and to get those feelings almost of ad- the adrenaline where you're like, yes, 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 and you're really getting into it. And they were also from pretty much my hometown. So they were our band. And we took pride in, you know, hey, uh, I knew guys that uh, had seen Cliff Burton in his first band locally, Trauma. They used to play in Castro Valley. I mean, so we knew people that knew these guys. And we'd seen Kirk Hammett in Berkeley. Me and my buddy John almost knocked him down running down the street. I mean, <laughs> so these, were, these weren't people that we just saw on an album. These, they were us. And they were local. And they were amazing. Hmm. And, and they were my, my first real concert, uh, I believe. And just um, there wasn't a band I loved more. I, just say I loved them would be an understatement. And the first time I saw them, it was just like lightning in, in my body. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Nick, uh, you're equally passionate about Metallica and uh, what, they've, what they were and what they've become. Um, so, I mean, uh, why, why Metallica? Why this, why this passion for this band for you? Well, personally, like, first off, Metallica was actually never one of my favorite bands, so I won't say it's an equal passion. Uh, that, that, I shouldn't say never one of my favorites, never my very favorite. I actually didn't even have to own an album of theirs in the 90s because they were so ubiquitous, ubiquitous, ah, whoa, I can't talk all of a sudden, <laughs> ubiquitous, fuck, they were everywhere, why can't I talk? <laughs> Whatever. In the 90s, they were everywhere. Every person I knew liked Metallica, loved Metallica. And, you know, if I wanted to hear Metallica, I could put on the radio and, like, literally, they were playing, like, songs, you know, off the album that were not singles. Uh, all, all, you know, just, like, weird stuff. It, Metallica was really everywhere. And um, I didn't even have to own an album of Metallica's until later on because if I wanted to hear one, I could just borrow one from a friend, copy a tape. Oh, no, file sharing before file sharing was cool. Uh, you know, so I had everything. I just never had to go out and uh, um, be a part of it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's weird how Metallica, you know, no matter what they're doing, the stuff that everybody liked or the stuff that everybody uh, didn't really gravitate towards, it, it always seemed to lay the foundation for what mainstream metal was going to sound like. Hmm. And I think we can get into that a little bit more in the actual discussion here. But it, it's... um. Weird how vastly influential they are. 
and in ways that you don't even realize, and I hope to enlighten everybody a little bit here when we get going. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, for me, man, growing up in the 80s and, uh, you know, I, I guess at the beginning of the show, I didn't really talk about my metal history um, because I was never really allowed to listen to heavy metal in the 80s. You know, my parents were of, of the type that, uh, you know, that sort of music is really bad and you shouldn't listen to it because look at these guys, you know, they're on drugs and they're drinking, they're, you know, it's all sex, drugs and rock and roll and they wanted to sort of shelter me from that to a certain extent. And so I was never allowed to go out and buy you know, anything. And, and, and really I was into pop music for a long time. You know, I was, I was a total top 40 little kid growing up in like third and fourth grade. And I got Debbie Gibson tapes and Tiffany tapes and, and stuff like that. Then my friends uh, started introducing me to other sorts of music, uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, when Appetite came out in 88, man, that was um, something I, I'd never heard that kind of thing before. Uh, Motley Crue with Girls, Girls, Girls. Um, and then Metallica. Metallica was like the band, like if you are a real metalhead, you know, if you're really e extreme, then you're into Metallica. I mean, because that, that is the metal band to be into. And uh, it was only some of the weird, weird kids that were really into Metallica and would be wearing the Metallica shirts. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was sort of the metal band to be into if you were a metalhead. And you were one of these guys, sort of loner guys, you know, one of these, uh, I think, true, true metal fans. Um, and uh, so that, uh, that's where I come from. You know, um, probably the first I heard Metallica actually uh, wasn't till And Justice. And I saw them, uh, MTV used to play the video for one, like all the friggin' time. And, uh, which is actually amazing, uh, you know, being that that was a basically non-promoted album, you know, and there was very little press for it at all. And MTV was playing it just because there was so much fan buzz around it. But, uh, we'll get into that. But, uh, and then the black album came along and I, all of a sudden I'm hearing enter Sandman at my junior high school dance. You know, on Friday nights, we'd have, have these dances, you know, and they'd hire a DJ and everything, and you'd dance with the girls and, and stuff. And literally, they'd play Enter Sandman. Like, they, and, and all of a sudden, Metallica's wow. in the mainstream. So I got really, really into them. They were so heavy, um, and I wanted heavy music. I was craving heavy music because I could not have it. My parents just didn't want me listening to any of that. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a lot of the appeal of metal to me, where it's, it's a lot of it is sort of bad. You know, it's sort of... You know, it's uh, it's very edgy, and maybe some of it is stuff that I shouldn't be listening to. You know, it's that kind of appeal to me, and right. um, that's a lot of why I got into it in my teens and why that stuck uh, with me throughout the years. Um, so yeah, Metallica for me, you know, it, it was definitely um, with some of their sort of mid-career albums, their transitional albums, um, and then I started going back in the catalog and uh, really enjoying what they had. But uh, yeah, so that's that's where I came from, and uh, literally, I mean, they were like I said, they were the band to be into, the band to love in the mm -hmm. late '80s, early '90s to to a certain extent, um, just because they had it cornered, man. No other band could touch them. Exactly, yeah, exactly, just, and especially as you look like later on, you can name other metal bands who came up in the uh, you know ten or fifteen years after the Black Album. But at the time of the Black Album, it was like Metallica or, you know, whatever was kind of dying out of like that sort of glam and hair metal stuff um, from before. And there was still other metal stuff out there, but it was um, 
nothing what like you could say Slayer was there and Iron Maiden was there, but nothing was as prominent as Metallica at all. Like not even in, in the same you know solar system as Metallica. Right. Right. And uh, well, and you mentioned the like the T-shirts. You knew when you saw a guy wearing, and we we've all seen the metal up your ass T-shirt. Yes. Uh, and you look, what in the world is that? Who is that? Metallica? Damn. Yeah. yeah. And their T-shirts, Ride the Lightning, an amazing shirt. Right. Um, yeah. Master of Puppets, looking like the soldiers' graves, all the crosses. I mean, it was just, um, yeah, the T-shirts caught a lot of eyes and probably worried a lot of parents. I, I've always talked about how uh, T-shirts, uh, metal T-shirts are like beacons. We wear them so that like somebody else goes, oh, hey, that band. And then you strike up a friendship with that person. That's how I met my wife. She was wearing a Metallica T-shirt, and I started talking to her about uh, Metallica because they were going to be playing like in two weeks. No way. Uh, yeah, that's how I met my wife. In fact, oh. uh, my, my, my son, I, well, Metallica is her favorite band. Our, our first son is named James. <laughs> And we, we each say that he's named after our favorite singers, her for James Hetfield and me for Maynard James Keenan. Ah. So uh, well, that's... <laughs> man, Metallica, I think, runs a lot deeper with you, Nick, than you were letting on because... Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah that's, that's, uh, that's quite something right there. But there... I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Everything. Well, her, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, everything we're hearing is just how influential... They have been, and I think that is putting it lightly. I, I think Metallica is the reason that we do hear a lot of the heavy music that we hear now, and we have oh, been hearing for the past couple of decades. Uh, they're solely responsible, and uh, so which makes it difficult to get into uh, some later issues that uh, we are going to touch on for sure here. Mm-hmm. But um, so let's start uh, sort of going through here, album by album, and uh, maybe what. Uh, where they have been, maybe what we uh, what we really enjoy about these, because uh, they have quite the crazy, crazy spectrum of albums here, and uh, it's um, it's going to get interesting. So, uh, yeah, anything you guys want to add before we uh, start talking about the actual individual albums? Uh, just that I find it really interesting when you talk about, um, well, both of you guys, when you talk about getting into Metallica before the Black Album. Because to me, like, you know, like I said, I was getting into music in the early 90s. So, like, the Black Album was already this huge thing. And at the time, I was almost like, well, there's nothing before the Black Album. You know what I mean? So I really had to grow uh, into Metallica sort of uh, retroactively, uh, you know, almost backwards through time. I think we all did. We all did. Yeah, Yeah. I was just one album before that. You know, I was just, Mm. uh, that's where I happened to land. And see, and we run in a row because my first entry was Master of Puppets. I mean, if we're going to throw out Garage Days, um, right. which was not, I wouldn't consider it a real album. It just covers the most part, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, I think we all, and according to our age, as it turns out, we all run one album backwards. Wow. That's cool. And yeah, I mean, yeah, there was so much that was already there and good stuff that was already there that like later on as the Black Album became big, got radio play, stuff like, well, Ride the Lightning and uh, Master of Puppets, you would hear on mainstream like radio out here oh, in New York area. Yeah, you know, is there is there is there a big city in the United States that didn't always have every night mandatory Metallica at uh-huh. nine o'clock and you'd get <laughs> the an triple hour. shot <laughs> yeah. or whatever? Yeah, I mean that's how ingrained in 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 American radio it, it was and is. There's still mandatory Metallica here in L.A. Oh yeah, they they do it on the uh, college radio station near me. So anyway, uh, album by album. 
Album by album. Well, let's go back actually 30 years uh, from this year. Exactly. Uh, with Kill 'Em All, which was originally, we mentioned this before, uh, on a t-shirt. But it was not originally supposed to be called Kill 'Em All. It was supposed to be called Metal Up Your Ass. Um, but, of course, they were censored. And uh, so Kill 'Em All is actually referring to... Uh, we get actually a little bit of this on the, the Cliff 'Em All video, if you guys have watched that. Um, yeah. Where James is talking about uh, a live during a show. He's like... Our new album is Kill 'em All and Kill All the Record Executives and just Kill 'em All. And it's. Uh, He's holding it up like a chalice above his head. He's exactly. like, there it yeah. is. Yeah, I've right. seen that clip. It must be like the only clip of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but this, this was actually, I mean, you listen to it now, and a lot of bands, of course, have replicated the sound. And yes, it is dated because it's early 80s. Um, but it's still a lot of great songs on this. Um, so going back, uh, especially, I guess, Nick, you know, after basically the black album is your foundation in Metallica mm-hmm. and then going back to kill them all. Um, I guess, what did you think the first time you heard it and, and what's your impression, I guess, overall? All right. Well, when I first heard kill them all, it was probably one of the last albums I had heard from Metallica because, well, working my way backwards before load and reload and everything else, it was, um, you know, I made my way backwards, so I had already heard Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning before I got to Kill 'Em All, and um, it, it's very much the sound. Obviously, the sound is very different. It is very dated, but it's also very raw and much more thrash oriented. Like they're just going as hard as as fast as they can on some of these songs, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was a little like it, it doesn't feel. Uh, still, to me, it's one of my least favorite Metallica albums uh, towards the bottom half because it's. Uh, it just feels like their music really progressed and grew after Kill 'Em All in a lot of different ways, and I mean, I I don't think anybody could really deny that. And I feel like it, it's so bare bones; it kind of lacks all the elements that I wanted, uh, that I liked from Metallica. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, exactly. It, yeah. it, it was a great foundation, you know. I, I think uh, because it was actually extremely. Uh, trendsetting. I mean, it was like unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, people listen to this album in 1983 and they're like, oh my God, this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard in my life. And uh, so it's uh, it's harder now to go back and I think appreciate that, but that is the effect that it had. Um, so, and that's why I think, you know, again, when you listen to music, so much of your you know, subjective view of a certain album or whatever has to be qualified with the point in time that you heard it and maybe what you were going through and, and, oh man, I was in college at the time and I was smoking a lot of pot or, you know, oh man, I listened to this album and it was during like a really, really bad breakup that I had with this chick or whatever, you know, and, and so a lot of it. And so, you know, for, for you having to go back and, you know, listen to it after the black album had to be a really, really crazy jump. And uh, I can see why. Yeah. It's It's kind of jarring in a way that it's just like, uh, you you know, with any band that you do that with, you know, you're you're. If you discover any band on their third or fifth album, and then you go back and listen to their first, you're like, it sounds like they have the tools, but they don't know how to use them all yet. Right, right. And uh, Mike, um, now uh, you started with Master of Puppets, of course, and then yeah. we're going through, and then uh, so what's uh, what's Kill 'Em All for you? Well, and I'm going to be completely honest because that's what we're all about. I don't like Kill 'Em All. And I think I listened to it at the time 
because I didn't want to seem like I wasn't the world's biggest Metallica fan, so I listened <laughs> to it. I mean, there were parts of certain songs that I like. Um, a little bit of Jump in the Fire is fine with me. Uh, you know, okay, the chorus for the Four Horsemen, love it. But the rest of the album just coming from something so heavy. I mean, I'm, I'm having the same problem Nick did, starting off with Master of Puppets. And then, then hearing this, I was like, oh, it kind of had a weird... I understand the relevance of it. I understand the importance. I understand that the door had opened for them and opened other people's ears to bands like Anthrax and other things that were starting to go on at the same time. And I know how important this album is, but it is nowhere near um, it my, my favorite as far as Metallica goes. And, and, and I think, to be fair, it, I've seen interviews where they say that all this, so when they ask him, Hetfield, uh, what do you hate to play? And he goes, oh, I can't stand playing uh, Hit the Lights. Uh, all the songs <laughs> they don't want to play, for the most part, are all on this album. So right. it's just, it was real repetitive. They, they, they didn't yeah. take too many, aside from taking a chance of making a really heavy, fast album, jackhammering that E, I mean, just nailing it. Um, the songs were, some of these songs were pretty long. Okay, it's like, Seek and Destroy, come on, get it, end it, end it. Just keeps going and going. Uh, <laughs> right. And I, but, think, I know, think the band kind of feels the same. But yes. it's, well, for what it was, it was important. See, I think Seek and Destroy is a very telling song, though, because that song has like the the uh, the makeup of what they would turn into their later songs. You know, the uh, every every little bit of it, the strength of the song and even the catchiness of it, you know, it, it, that was the stuff that they would use later on in Ride the Lightning sure. and uh, Master of Puppets. And they would they would develop their sound and it would and it ended up sounding a lot more like Seek and Destroy than anything else on that album. Right? I agree. Yeah, and I'll have to admit, you know, I, I I myself was a little disappointed the first time I heard Kill 'Em All because again I was coming from Injustice and the Black Album, and then I heard I think Ride the Lightning next, and then Master of Puppets after. I listened to them in a, just a weird order, and uh, so I had all this immense heaviness um, come before it, and then Kill 'Em All, you know, has a, a great cover, and so I'm like, oh, this has got to be brutal. Oh man, this album has got to be wow. And then you hear it, and it's just sort of, it's thrash, you know, from beginning to end. And, and like you guys said, there, there's not a whole lot of uh, ups and downs, not not a whole lot of variations. And um, and there are some good songs, and I can still listen to, like, you know, Creeping Death and Four Horsemen. But to me, I just always think of this, uh, this album in terms of... Actually, uh, Dave Mustaine and Megadeth, because of course, you know, he had he had some songwriting uh, credit in these because he was the original lead guitarist, and he was just too drunk and high to be able to do much of anything for a long time. And uh, the other drunks <laughs> kicked him out. That's yeah, kind of funny. In a yeah, weird way. he was he was a bigger drunk than all the other drunks, and the drunks kicked him out. Yeah, so. Um, but uh, and so I, I think of this album in terms of like um, this was sort of baby Megadeth um, because Megadeth just sort of really ran with that uh, this sound and they were much right. more held to the thrash roots of things uh, throughout their albums and Killing so, is my is my business is really comparable to this I think in a lot of ways yeah yeah absolutely and and Dave even went on to write I mean he had. Uh, writing credits in like the Four Horsemen and and uh, I think there's another song or two on Kill 'Em All, Whiplash, right? Yeah, and he Remember. went on to write different songs with the exact same riffs. Yeah, mechanics. Is, yeah, is, uh... yeah. <laughs> and it's you know because he always claimed those to be his songs, and uh, so there there's 
a lot we could talk about between Metallica and, and Megadeth and Dave Mustaine, of course. But uh, so, that, but that was my frame of reference on it, and that's uh, you know, it, it's not heavy nowadays. You know, it's just very thrashy, very, very uh, almost kind of like a train train going like you know from beginning to end and that's it's pretty much what it is but for the time it was it was groundbreaking and, and very historic um but yeah yeah no, nothing like we see in their next album and any other thoughts you guys on on ride the, or on uh, uh kill them all before we get to ride the lightning because uh, this is going to be actually quite a quite a growth uh, to see. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I I'm mean, good. yeah, they definitely uh, developed, and the next iteration of what we saw from Metallica was just so much more, um, you know, wow. It, it's not just that bare bones foundation, it, it's really this full uh, metal album where they're starting to learn how to be epic, and, you know, that's yeah. a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, starting off just, uh, I think, really killing it with Fight Fire with Fire. Dude, that song today is so heavy. And yeah, I mean, maybe the sound production, of course, is still mid-80s sort of sound production. Despite that, it doesn't matter. That song is really, really sick. And to kick off an album with that and then go into all the other, I mean, every album on, uh, or every every song on the album, Ride the Lightning, is uh, just fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Nick, again, I'll go to you first. Uh, about Ride the Lightning and, and sort of where it, where it fell in your whole Metallica history here and, and what you thought of it and where you right. think it places overall. Well, Ride the Lightning's not my go-to album. Like, when I want to hear Metallica, it's not the first one that I grab, but it's got some of my favorite shit on there. Creeping Death, probably my favorite Metallica song. Probably. I can't think of one that I really like more than Creeping Death. Uh, Call of the Cthulhu is just beautiful. Um I just said Creeping Death was on Kill 'Em All, and I was so wrong about that. So that's okay. I missed it. I missed it, or I would have rode your ass about it. Good. Uh, I didn't, but I don't correct Corey because he uh, was probably right. <laughs> uh, I assume no. Corey knows I'm wrong. I always assume. <laughs> um, let me Sorry. think. There's also like these songs that were quite ubiquitous. Hey, ten nice. points for Nick. All right, ten yep. points. Uh, like for whom the bell tolls and fade to black, which were played on the radio, still played on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, twenty five years later, thirty, almost thirty years now, right? Thirty years later. Yeah. God, man, uh, that's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a, a big stretch because uh, sure we get some thrash. Like I said, you know, fight fire with fire, very thrashy song. Creeping death is thrashy. Um, but we get uh, this other dimension. They're almost, almost with um, uh, fade to black. It's almost ballad-like, but it doesn't go the whole. It doesn't go quite that far. It still maintains some cred just because it's so epic towards the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. And uh, Kirk Hammett just really, I think, coming into his prime and really finding himself as a lead guitarist and real. I mean, he, he of course, he he did great work on Kill 'Em All. But man, he had some killer leads on here that uh, was actually everybody was clicking as a band here. And uh, although James and Lars were, of course, the songwriters, the sole songwriters for a long time, you know, they'd bring in Kirk to, to do the solo and right. and uh, everything. And he gelled with the vision of of James and Lars, and uh, um, of course Cliff Burton. And oh my God, Cliff Burton. Uh, I could do a whole show on Cliff Burton, I think. But uh, Mike. Um, what's uh, what's Ride the Lightning for you? What do you think about it? it? To me, it's 
obviously a giant leap up in production value. I mean, they actually didn't have to finance this one themselves. You know, they had a proven album behind them. And this is when they started, I like to think, their arena rock songwriting. Mm -hmm. These were songs made to be played in front of thousands of people, not little clubs. They didn't have that mindset anymore. And this is my second favorite um, Metallica album. Like you said, it's explosive. Uh, they just they they felt more comfortable stretching their feet out a little bit and trying to do new things. And the and the harmonies in this album I think are better than on any other Metallica album. Uh, James is c comfortable now. Uh, certainly uh, being a little more. Oh, I hate to say. Not sing songy, but he's he's more comfortable in his voice. He's more comfortable singing and not yelling because in Kill 'Em All was a little bit of singing and a whole lot of talking loud and barking, and he right. and he was a lot more comfortable singing here. Yeah. Fade to Black is a great album for whom the bell tolls might be one of the best songs live any band has ever done. The crowd, thirty years later, lights up when they start to play it. Yeah. Um, and I and you mentioned, I mean, and and this was this was the album that I listened to. Um, I, I, I remember always having this in my Sony Walkman while going down on the bus to the mall or skateboarding. I always had this in my ear. But you mentioned someone very important. And I'm going to say something a little... And I could be wrong, but I, I mentioned I, I was really thinking about Metallica all week and I had some weird revelations. Cliff Burton being one of them. You know, if there's anybody in my mind that didn't belong in this band, it was Cliff Burton. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Cliff, I mean, to listen to the direction Metallica took after his death when, when the only creative input really was James and Lars, that's the sound they were going towards, and that's, that wasn't Cliff's style. Right. And, and Cliff was an amazing bassist, and it's a shame that he was gone so soon. I would have liked to have seen what he would have done, but I could, I could see him quitting this band. And going, this just isn't my thing. You know, he seemed a bit like a little bit on the hippie side. You know, he was he was kind of like a I don't know. He just oh, yeah. look at Cliff Amal. He's not like the rest. He was kind of just one of those San Francisco Berkeley hippie guys that just could play the fuck out of a bass. Yeah. And he, he didn't seem I mean, and and he brings this album to life for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't see him going in the same direction they are after this album. Dude, lead bass all over the place on Ride the Lightning, yeah. especially in For Whom the Bell Tolls. You know, and a lot oh. of people don't, I don't think, realize it until you actually see it live or you see, you know, I, I realized it for the first time when I saw a kill, or a Cliff em All that 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 was actually a bass. That was Cliff doing right. that. Right. I, did, I didn't know that until Guitar Hero Metallica came out. And I was like, that's the bass? Yeah. I, I was blown away by that. I actually never fucking yeah. knew that until just two three years ago and when you see him play it he doesn't oh. just play it straight man he improvises no. constantly he adds like doo -doo 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 -doo, like all kinds of crazy Th things the thing about cliff first of all um he was the most schooled uh musically uh he was actually a, a, a schooled classically in music he knew a ton of theory he knew all the notes and different scales and everything and could play crazy scales um and so he was trained Whereas Lars, James, and, and those guys, they were not formally trained. You know, mm -hmm. they just sort of picked it up and, and started doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, Mike, when you start talking about 
you know, you think Cliff would have left the band, he would have quit, not agreed with the direction. I think Cliff was the most important part of the band, and everybody knew it. James knew it, Lars knew it, Kirk knew it, everybody. Because whenever they recruited him for Kill 'em All, they had some Ron, Ron Burgundy or something. Ron I, I yeah. Right, right. And uh, Ron Burgundy is Anchorman. But um, <laughs> um, actually, uh, they were so blown away by him and they so wanted him to be in the band that uh, they said, you know, what do we have to do to get you in there? And he's like, well, you guys have to move to my town and then I'll be part of the band. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere because I'm, I'm, I am who I am, you know. Um, right. You guys have to move the entire band to me to be in it. And Metallica did that. James and Lars and Kirk, everybody <laughs> picked up, moved to Cliff. And he was, I think, he was basically the the band. I mean, he was he was the, the guy holding everything together creatively and theoretically. And yeah, James and Lars were coming up with a lot of the riffs, but he was the guy that uh, was really that, that glue, you know, that, that sort of mortar in there that was just amazing, amazing. Absolutely. And you mentioned something really important, Corey, and I want the listeners to know, if you've not seen Cliff Amal, and it might be on YouTube, however yeah, you yeah. get it, you need the, the video Corey was specifically mentioning was uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, For Whom the Bell Tolls, sorry, at, recorded the Day on the Green at the Oakland Coliseum. And I forget the year. It was probably something 1986. But um, to watch how Cliff stands there and just turns the bass to the side, and he's almost holding it like a gun as he's just commanding the song. It's it's an amazing thing to see. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I loved it so. Oh yeah, Cliff is just uh, just huge, and his his death, uh, I it was a huge huge turning point in the band, and it, I think it's because it just messed with James and Lars, and their their heads so much. That I think they just went and did some some wacky wacky things. But uh, Nick, um, as far as Cliff Burton, uh, have you been a fan of his? I mean, you, you said you found out about him, you know, that he played that in, in Guitar Hero. But were you a <laughs> yeah. fan of his sort of before that, or what? What's your well, history with Cliff? once again, like I didn't come into Metallica until the Black Album was already a thing, so I sort of retroactively learned about uh, Cliff Burton, and I, I uh, had always heard that he was uh, the best best bassist, the greatest bassist, like legendary. I think that him dying kind of preserved that, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I I do like to play what-if games of what if he didn't die. Maybe he would have talked them out of uh, going so mainstream, you know? Maybe he would have been able to uh, stop the flood of Lars of just, you know, uh, turning that band into uh, the image um, the image-obsessed band of the 90s and you know, making all these really stupid decisions. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, we'll get into albums sort of after his death, but, uh, you know, just looking, a lot of these albums would never have happened, never would have come close to happening without, you know, with, with Cliff being there. Because, of course, the way Injustice was, it was a total sort of hazing album towards, you know, Jason Newstead. And, um, it just took a, a lot of weird directions after that that I don't think Cliff would have had anything to do with. And I think subsequently the band would not have gone in that direction. I think it would, it would have been so much of a better progression. I think better and better and better and, and just more legitimate and honest overall. 
Um, but uh, I'll get into more specifics as we go. Um, but Ride the Lightning Man, absolutely fantastic. Um, everybody, I, I think Metallica really, really coming into their own uh, in this sophomore effort. And I'm not sure a lot of people were banking on them doing anything outside of uh, Kill 'Em All. You know, they, they caused a lot of waves with Kill 'Em All, but of course, there's a sophomore jinx. And uh, not only did Metallica put out a great sophomore album, but a brilliant, brilliant sophomore album that uh, put their first in its shadow. And um, with their next effort, Master of Puppets, two years later in 1986, they put Ride the Lightning in its shadow. As far as I see it, do you guys agree? I agree. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, uh, what, do you, what do you think of Master of Puppets? Uh, what's, is, this, uh, is this their best album? Mm, is it their best? It's probably their best. I, w- I would say um, it might not be my personal favorite, but it is uh, very much like, uh, wow, a great, a great, great, uh, such an important metal album, right? I mean, the songs on it, again, are songs that are still played on the radio uh, 20 or 30 years la- later. Uh, even the go-to heavy song of main st- mainstream radio is still Master of Puppets. Uh, Sanitarium. Uh, is another one that you still hear on the radio now. It, it's got really cool stuff like the instrumental or, Orion and uh, just, ah, uh, Disposable Heroes is a great song. There's so much great stuff on here. This is the polished sound that we were, that that you could see the beginnings of in the other two albums. This is that polished, finished sound that is just, wow, it's ethereal. This This album is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, wow. Uh, I don't know, uh, Mike. Man, where's this oh, album agree. sit for you <laughs> overall? For me, this is you know. I think I misspoke. For me, this is my number one. This is where I came in. Um, I was in metal shop, Mister Stack's metal shop class when I first heard um, Leper Messiah, and that just changed everything for me musically. Uh, this is. This, to me, is their most aggressive album. It is their most... I mean, I think I really think this was probably the best production value. I mean, I know I love Injustice as well. I do, and the production value was great. But this just... Something about this album just sounded so good, and it was so aggressive. And Mm -hmm. all of these songs sound better live. There's a lot of albums, a lot of bands you can't say that about. Um, You know... All of these things, Damage Incorporated, Damage Incorporated yes. Live, it's amazing. Uh, and everybody really shines on this album. Uh, mm-hmm. Even Lars, who I don't much care for, uh, did really good on this album. It's just, um, and to me, this is the, it, like you said, this was an amazing progression. Uh, constantly overshadowing the previous album that just blew people away. Um, now, how much of that was Fleming Rasmussen? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, just, I mean, my favorite album front to back, uh, and like Nick said, you still hear these songs on the radio Mm -hmm. and, uh, sanitarium. Come on. Every fledgling guitarist learns the intro to sanitarium. (laughs) I know I did. Uh, my brother was so excited when he first, uh, was taking guitar lessons for a little while. And that was like the first thing he could play. And he was like, Nick, I could play sanitarium. Cause it was his, fa- it's his favorite metal, one of his favorite Metallica songs. I don't know if it's still his favorite, but yeah, to play that little bit, he was so jacked. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, this album is just such a good mix of everything that Metallica was at the time. It's got speed, uh, aggressive energy, primal energy, and it really defines them. And, you know, it's just so good. Yeah. yeah and I'll, and I'll tell also you. important to say the last album with Cliff Burton. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually huge. Um, because you mentioned before with Orion, you know, another, it's instrumental, but it's, it's a bass solo. And it's actually really yeah. simple. My, myself, as primarily a bassist, I, I play a lot of instruments, but uh, bass is uh, my, my first love and, and the thing I love the most. Man, um, learning that, it's so simple, but it's so beautiful, you know. And uh, Cliff was great at doing those kind of things where he could take simple patterns, he could take, you know, simple things to play and, and put his own spin on them and make them amazing. And uh, that's, um, you know, the beauty, like you said, everybody shined on this. Um, yeah, even uh, you guys mentioned a lot of songs, but uh, you never mentioned my favorite. And this is my favorite Metallica album, um, just by far. This is the, the last one I heard as of like, uh, you know, the early 90s when the Black Album was out. Um, you know, I'd heard... Uh, Ride the Lightning, I'd heard Kill 'Em All and, and Justice and the Black Album a million times. And this is one that I could never quite get get a hold of because, again, I, I was with my parents and they weren't real happy I was listening to this in the first place. And and so somebody brought this tape over to my house one time and I heard just Battery. You know, I heard the first song on the album. Oh, I'm so like, good. oh, my God, this is so heavy. I can't wait to listen to this again. And then it was years down the road when I actually was able to get a hold of it. And uh, my favorite song on this, and what I would say would be arguably the heaviest song that Metallica has done, one of their heaviest riffs ever, uh, is The Thing That Should Not Be. Um, That's actually, like I said, my favorite song on this album, and so heavy. It's slow. Mm -hmm. It's in your face, and they are so confident in this. Um, uh, I think... You know, there's one other song um, that I'm thinking of right now that is sort of equally, you know, could it could battle it for the heaviest song. You're but, you're thinking uh, disposable heroes. <laughs> no, no, actually, I'm not. You'd yes, be surprised. you are. <laughs> You'd be surprised. The uh, the other one I'm thinking of, but uh, but no, um, it's uh, just absolutely. It's so brutal. It's it's Metallica. They can slow down and still kick your ass and rip your face yeah, off. Right. With, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Think about how many different styles you're getting here. You're getting really uh, thrash-inspired stuff. You're getting stuff that's almost like a slow, dark ballad with Sanitarium. And, and you're getting space rock with Orion, you know? Uh, so many different influences coming together and so many things that would influence other bands in the future. Oh, yeah. And I, I would add the tempo changes in Disposable Heroes were just off the fucking chart. Where they would just go breakneck speed, then din 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 din. You know, they they would rock it back and forth, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, this brilliant. I mean, brilliantly put together. Yeah. Right, I and just, it, it, I can't it get makes, enough of this album. It even makes it seem like there's an emphasis on you know, uh, when as things are changing with that dun 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 dun. What I think, well, you know, you know uh, not what I, you know, um, back to the front. Yeah. I forgot the fucking words. Okay, <laughs> you will do what I say when I say back to the. That's front. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but you know. uh, well, no, I'll tell you something else that this album really solidified and I think made clear to the world is that man, I mean, love them or hate them, whatever. James and Lars can write a heavy, heavy riff, fast, slow. 
these guys are masters at writing awesome, awesome riffs that yeah. uh, I think, at least riff-wise, not necessarily song-wise, style-wise, album-wise, whatever, but riff-wise, um, they've been able to sustain that and, and show that, I think, uh, throughout the decades, where they sure. at least they, they know how to write something heavy. Um, and it's that magic between those guys, because like I said, you know, we've talked about uh, what the songwriting process was in Metallica right now, and it was it was James and Lars, and they would come up with riffs, and they would mature the riffs, and then present them to Cliff and to Kirk, and say, hey, you know, fill in uh, what you need to for this song, and they would, but uh, they were the backbone. They were the, they were yeah. the songwriters. Um, and the this album set them on their path as they were opening for Ozzy with this album, oh, which is huge, man. which for that for 1986 was probably about as big as you could get aside from being Ozzy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you're metal in the eighties, you, you're, you know, you're on top whenever you're torn with Ozzy. That's uh, exactly it. But uh, yeah. Wow. Master of Puppets is, um, it's really hard to beat. And uh, after this in uh, 1987, we saw an EP um, and it was actually a cover EP that uh, it wasn't widespread hardly at all. It was actually really hard to get a hold of. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was just something they sort of put out. But uh, it was the uh, $5.98 EP, Garage Days Re Revisited. Um, and this is one that just every once in a while when I was at my friend's house, one, one of my friends was uh, the biggest metalhead that I knew. And he had he had tons and tons of tapes, but uh, he had this on cassette. And every time I went to his house, I'm like, dude, can you put in that Metallica tape, like that weird one that nobody else has? Mm-hmm. Because that has some crazy stuff on it. And of course, I knew none of the original songs um, yeah. at that point. And so that was my first exposure to you know, like the Misfits, to Merciful Fate. Um, you know, it was it was really really heavy too. And it was produced right. in the in the vein of. Uh, um, master of puppets and uh so you got I, I don't know nick you probably heard this what for the first time in the 90s when they re-released it with um, well yeah this. i had a friend who had it as well before garage inc and i remember like last caress it was like this this song that uh you know was like wow have you ever heard this metallica song then you know i got something to say dude cool cool you know uh <laughs> and just especially when you're like a young teenage kid, you're like, I can't believe that they they also have this song. The band that's on the radio has this song. It's almost like to compare it to like horror films, because that's my other forte is, um, y- you know, when you find out that like uh, somebody made a mainstream horror movie and you go back and watch their old stuff and you're like, I can't believe that the guy who made Nightmare on Elm Street also made, you know, Last House on the Left or something right, like right. that. Uh, and that's what this really is for me. Yeah. But uh, a great cover, uh, one of my favorite cover albums, actually, of all time. Um, just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike, did you have access to this? What would, when did you hear this for the first time? I had the tape. and I, Nice. I, I think I got it from my best friend's sister. I think I snagged the tape. It was like at the house. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to check this out. That's mine. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I have love and hate for this album. Uh, Pleased that Jason Newstead came aboard, uh, but 
kind of sad at how he was limited. Looking back, anyway, at the time, you know, I mean, the music did sound different, but I figured it was covers, so it wasn't going to sound like real Metallica. But uh, Crash Course is still a great song, and uh, Last Caress. Yeah, when you first hear when you first hear Last Caress, you get that what? Like the first time you hear, so what? And you go, what? Right, Did right. they just <laughs> say what I think they said? Yeah. And uh, this this was not the first time I'd heard the Misfits, but it it made me realize if this band loves the Misfits like I do, then the Misfits must be a pretty damn good band. And not to not to get off on another track, but folks, if you like this song, you like the Misfits. And so many people <laughs> I've run into, please stop getting surprised when you find out that Glenn Danzig was the singer for the Misfits. Because <laughs> I'm going to start strangling you people, okay? Yes, Glenn Danzig was the original singer <laughs> for the Misfits. And while we're talking about it, Metallica is pretty much the reason that anybody uh, on a large level knows about the Misfits. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because they were the ones wearing Misfit shirts, Cliff. And, and James were the guys wearing the Crimson Ghost shirts yeah. of the so Misfits. The tattoo. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, so and their goal was we love the Misfits and so we wanna we wanna bring them exposure. And Absolutely. it was because of Metallica that I think that people like now now, you know, Mike, you were just saying that uh, at this time you already knew of the Misfits, you know, and, and they were cool, so and they were pretty much done at the time, to be honest. So. Yeah, actually, Sam Hain was probably, you know, or saw Wind, yeah. or whatever. Um, it was close. Know, yeah, yeah, it, it was, was coming around. It was almost done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, um, Jerry, Jerry only still burning that flame. So don't get me started. <laughs> we, uh, that's another episode. That is what's old, going man. on with the Misfits? Uh, yeah. Robo oh and God. I don't know. Dez, uh, Black oh, Flag Misfits. Oh, I don't know. All right, we'll get to that. But hey, at least the good news is we get to talk about Michael Graves and how he kicked ass. What a great incarnation of that band that was. Oh, my God. I'd love to see them still tour with him. Anyway. All right. Oh, wow. I promise not to derail us. I'm going to shut up. Go ahead. You worked up a whole new wave of emotion mm. in me, and I just sort of have to, I have to ride this out right now and, and calm down. Um, yeah, Garage Days, <clears throat> a great thing. I, I only listened to it very limited um, like I said, because I had one friend that had it and he didn't really play it that often because more we were listening to Ozzy and Rat and Dangerous Toys um, at that point. So he didn't bust it out often, but uh, I always asked him to. And when he did, it was it was really, really cool. Um, and I did think it was Metallica because I didn't know about covers. I mean, people actually play other people's songs. Oh, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm in junior high. I don't I don't know anything. Um uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, and uh, what I did fail to mention, but we did sort of bring up before, is that uh, this was the first album with Jason Newstead. Of course, there's the whole tragic uh, bus accident that uh, brought Cliff Burton to um, a very untimely demise. Um, they were, uh, where were they, in Europe or something like that? Like they were Sweden, I want to say? Uh, probably up in I the Alps. It's very slippy and windy, and, and the bus driver was probably drunk and on cocaine because that's what Metallica was pretty much doing at that point in time themselves, and uh, he lost control, rolled the bus several times. James and Lars and Kirk were okay, but Cliff got pinned under the bus, um, uh-huh. you know, to the point where everybody got out of the bus and were sort of brushing themselves off, and they could see Cliff's legs sticking out from under the bus, which uh, 
I can't, um, I, I just can't imagine what that would do to you psychologically, just knowing, um, you know, you've been in a band with this guy for a lot of years and uh, probably consider him a friend. He's such a musical genius and you know this more than anybody else does. And just to see this person laying dead in front of you and you're okay and the only reason that he's dead and you're not is because you guys sort of you know drew straws for who's sleeping in what bunk in that bus that night and he happened to draw the straw for kirk's bed and uh was sleeping in that so um i just could not imagine yeah just the mental thing that you go through i mean i i just i don't know and that explains a lot of uh you know the band's progression i think a lot of their uh sort of alcohol and chemical dependence that is that it was it was building in this uh, this era, which is understandable, totally, um, but uh, I think took them in a whole different direction. Um, not necessarily with Garage Days. I think that was very raw and, and actually very cool of them. But uh, with their next studio album, um, it almost it you know I, I jotted this down in the notes that um, is maybe a little extreme, but maybe a little not. Um, that Cliff sort of took the essence of Metallica to the grave with him. Um, is that a valid point? I think so. Looking back now, I certainly do. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that set the tone for all the problems that seem to be destructive to the band since. Yeah. Uh, aside, aside from Lars, Lars is Lars, as, as we've come to find out. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. but... But everything that went on with James, uh, the the abusive, the way he mistreated himself, and the way they all mistreated Jason, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think that was all because of Cliff, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Nick, you got all the you... money in the world, you know. I mean, so it's yeah. got it's got to be something else inside of you that's hurting. Yeah. yeah, no, and it's especially weird to hear you say, you know, like, imagine seeing the guy's legs sticking out of the side of a bus. How fucked up is that? It really is. Yeah. And um, especially, like, you, you know, they're just human people. It's not like, uh, what was that, um, the fucking Swedish, Swedish black metal band where uh, the one guy found that the singer had shot himself and immediately took a picture oh, and used it as a... Yes. And, and and ate some of his brain, right? Cooked it up. He made it into yeah. soup. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and they used some that of his as skull the fragments. Cover. Yeah, his skull fragments were made into a necklace, apparently. Right. And uh, you oh, have yeah. to be a sick, stupid bastard to do shit like that. And at least here, these are fucking actual human guys, who um, even though you think of them as metal gods, didn't want to see someone from their band underneath a bus for they fuck's have sake. Feelings. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't yeah. taking pictures of it and using it as an album cover. Right. And, uh, but I don't know, Nick, what do you think about, I mean, the change in Metallica and again, from your standpoint, you know, you're still looking back, um, on them as a, as a band, but, uh, as far as did Cliff sort of, uh, did he embody that essence and just sort of take See, it to the next world with him and, and leave Metallica as this shell that is James and Lars to sort of figure yeah, things I, out? I, since I'm looking back on it, I look up back on it with more of the what if type of stance on stuff where I don't know um, 
you know, what really would have happened. I think it would have been more of, let's say, the cultural difference within the band, that it would have been less about making good business decisions and more about making good music. Because the shit with Lars was always there, even back to the name Metallica. Do you know how they got the name Metallica? I thought it was a friend that suggested it or something. It was like there was a magazine that was going to be named Metallica, and they realized that that was a really cool name. So I, I, and I've heard it's Lars's idea that they copyrighted the name Metallica so that the magazine couldn't call itself Metallica. Wow. And it's like douchebaggery from the birth of this band. People act like it just happened with the Napster thing, but dude, you're born that way. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, this, maybe it would have, um, who knows? Maybe there would have been a time when, like, they looked at stuff and said, you know what? Maybe Lars should leave the band. Lars is worried about selling out, and he'd go start his own band, just like Dave Mustaine did, and there'd be a third band in, in, in this strange metal war. You know what I mean? Wow. I, I, hate, to, I hate to interrupt this. I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. I, I, just, I just stumbled across a note on the wiki page, and I went to look at the timeline. We're talking about how important Cliff is to this band and what he meant to it. You know, he was only in the band for three years. Yeah, yeah. How insane is that? Mm-hmm. This band has a 30-year career, and he was in this band for three years. Granted, they recorded, wrote and recorded a lot, but to have that kind of impact on the sound and the direction and then ultimately the, your death, the, the demise of maybe a whole lot of the creativity in that band, that just speaks volumes about Cliff Burton, folks. Right. And I mean, he was there for those formative years. These three albums uh, of Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets and, and Justice for All. My one friend who really loves Metallica, he always points out, you know, you can't name another band that had three albums in a row like this other than maybe the Beatles, where, where their music was not only great, but it also influenced uh, everyone, everyone in, 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 your, in your genre. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... I I mean, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a band. I'm like, mm, no, he's absolutely yeah, yeah. right. No, yeah. I've tried. You can't, you can't win yeah, that argument. Can't. Yeah, and everybody knows these albums. Everybody knows Metallica. And uh, that's, their influence is amazing. And that's why they've earned, I think, a top spot in metal history. And, uh, and really a lot of respect given you know, some sort of weird choices throughout the years they've made. Um, still, there is no... No doubt that uh, man, their their place in history is huge. It's huge, and uh, going on to Injustice for All with Jason Newstead, their first uh, you know proper studio album with this bassist, and uh, you listen to the album, there's no bass at all, yeah. and it's still it, it's extremely heavy, and it mm-hmm. it's taken their songwriting to a whole new level, um, where it, it's very complex. Um, a lot of changes, a lot of things going on, and uh, um, really Lars and James sort of hold up for I think a long time, and and uh, figured this album out, and then brought in Kirk to do the solos, and brought in Jason to sort of pretend to play bass, and um, and here's what we have. But uh, this, this is, is gr- where it really started to be parceled out. I'm sorry, I mean, yeah. they, they they seem to put out assignments on this right. album. And they say, you know, it's it's James and Lars sort of in full command. Um, whereas, um, you know, in the other albums, there was maybe a little bit of lenience here or there, but, uh, n- n- you know, nothing here. This was their album. 
Um, See, I I really love this the love and justice for all though. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I really like this is one of my go-to albums. It's probably my favorite metallic album overall actually just cuz I like all the songs on this album except maybe the shortest straw isn't that great, but I really like epic stuff and I really like how fucking every song on this album is 5 minutes or more. Uh it, it's got another great instrumental. My favorite instrumental of Metallica's To Live Is To Die. Oh, yeah. Um and I, I just uh I really revel in this one. Um so and and I didn't at first cuz like I said I had to move backwards from the Black album, but this is the one that I came to love uh personally at least. Yeah. I I love them all. Well, not all of them, but I I love <laughs> Master of Puppets a lot too, but I really really enjoy Injustice for All. Yeah. It is a good album. It's the first one for me that uh, I heard and saw all the t-shirts for. I think this is the album that had the best variety of t-shirts for um, because they basically had a, a, a t-shirt for like every song or at least a lot of the songs on there. So you, you saw a lot of like shortest straw t-shirts and it was like the skull with the fangs and you know, all this crazy stuff. And you saw a harvester of sorrows, you know, and yet that had a t-shirt and it's all this, Zorlac art. Oh yeah. And awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. And then of course the, uh, the sort of generic and justice for all shirt that was uh, a, you know, the four of them sort of in squares, you know, on the front of the shirt. It, uh, it was really cool, too. But uh, this one, man, whenever I heard one, I had never heard anything heavier than, you know, the last half of that song. You know, darkness and vision in me. All that I right, see. Right. Absolute Especially horror. on the radio. On the oh radio. Never, dude. I remember driving home with my parents from church. We were literally in the car from church. I'm like, turn it to whatever the, the like top 40 station was. And they'd turn it. And one would be playing on this top 40 station. And I'd be like, okay, don't turn it. We got to listen to this song. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would you expose my little brother and sister, my mom and my dad, who hated this stuff, <laughs> to one. I mean, that was so great. And you know what I loved even more than one was two of one. The version of the song, for the people who don't know what that is, it's a version of one with uh, clips interspersed and samples from the movie Johnny Got His Gun, which is this anti-war movie uh, from the 70s. And it, it is just a really striking version of the song, and I I love that one, man. Hmm. Seek it out if you've never heard it. Wow. Yeah. You never heard of that? or I've never heard of that, no. What? Is oh, it different from the will... video? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, a separate video from it because it's on... Um, isn't it? Didn't they put out a video release of it, like uh, one with that version and one with the version of one that you know from Metallic from uh, MTV was you know the performance video of them standing around in a warehouse playing it, right? And there's another version of it with like the the clips and stuff added back in. Uh, the only version I was ever aware of is they're in the warehouse, but they keep cutting back and forth to the uh, Johnny Got His Gun. I didn't know there yes, was another version. Yes. That is the other version. Really? Oh, so there's a there's a version with just the music by itself? Yeah, yeah, with just oh. the regular version of one uh without without the clips in it. Hmm. Okay. So awesome. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Nice. I like see I like learning about stuff I love. And thank you, Nick. I didn't know. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the first album that I think uh MTV really embraced. Um and w I think they were just aware that Metallica 
is a huge force out there with actually a huge fan base without having any sort of mainstream press or uh, promotion, anything like that. And especially on this album. Dude, I saw one, the video for one, on MTV all the time. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, these guys are brutal. I mean, literally, I, this is on MTV. I mean, they're they're putting this right up against, you know, a lot of the, the radio hits of the time, you know, the top 40 hits, whatever they were. And all of a sudden, Metallica, it wasn't just on the Headbangers Ball. Exactly. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. And Headbangers Ball is a good thing to bring up here because, um, I mean, that this is when metal was coming around into the mainstream, as it were. And it was being led by this sound of Metallica, you know? Yeah. I would, I would almost say, not almost, I would say that though Metallica at this point was opening the doors, that there were bands that were playing heavier, heavier music at this point that simply weren't known about. Um, mm-hmm. Looking back, one is a great song, but uh, to hear Kirk popping that double bass, in comparison to what we listen to now, it's <laughs> yeah. so slow. And it's so, <laughs> it was amazing because we'd never heard that before. But, you know, if a band came out with that, now you'd be like, oh, that's cute. But check this out. Check out Hellhammer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it's totally different now. Well, no, yeah, that's true. I would say they had they had they had fellow bands at this time that were actually playing um, music that was real close and even maybe heavier in some ways that simply weren't getting any airplay. But uh, but that's okay. It doesn't make this album any less badass or any less important because it certainly was. We all gathered around the TV to watch one. And we're like, wow, this is amazing, just amazing. And it wasn't. Um, didn't they do the big reveal? Like they did with uh, Enter Sandman, where they were like, you know, hey, at noon tomorrow, we're gonna watch the, we're gonna debut the new video from Metallica. I recall sitting around with friends, blown away watching that. Oh. see, I didn't have cable at my house, and I actually saw this at the YMCA in town as my my sister was taking mm-hmm. dance lessons at the time, and I was in the lounge where they had a TV with cable, and whoever was in there before me happened to have MTV on. At the time, and that's how I actually saw this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, that way. Um, so I don't know. I was just sort of I watched MTV as I was sort of graced with it, uh, you know, either at a right. friend's house or at the Y or something like that. Right. Well, you know, to the one thing we should bring up is this is where the Metallica backlash actually started too, because by them showing up on MTV. The, the original hardcore fans had thought Metallica sold out back then. Of course, they had no idea what was going to come. But uh, <laughs> there, there, were people, there were people who really thought like, oh, God, they're on MTV. I can't listen to them anymore. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, granted, I didn't get into Metallica until the 90s. So I guess I was on the bandwagon later, whatever. But uh, it is, um, it's interesting to think about that people could think that one was selling out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because for me, man, just I think around my group of friends at the time, um, this was some really heavy stuff that we actually could get really easily. We could go down to the record store and actually buy this. It was on the shelf right in front of us. Uh-huh. Um, and it was actually popular and we could get it. We didn't have to hunt for it anymore because it was right there. And it was awesome. It was so heavy. And it was music that we were just sort of wishing for for a lot of years that all of a sudden we had access to, um, which is so important. And uh, with Injustice, uh, they, I think they just really, 
that's really funny that uh, a lot of people thought they sold out with this and uh, and everything, which I I could totally see. But um, no, it uh, it was just it was just huge. And uh, man, man, this is the first concert I saw was this tour, and it was just amazing. Really, what year was? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say nine. I'd have to go get the ticket stuff. Very likely 1988. It was at the uh, Shoreline Amphitheater. We had seats up on the grass, which were shitty seats to be honest, but it didn't matter. As I walked into the place, I was almost, you know, I was trying to be cool, but I was absolutely starting to hyperventilate because I knew I'm about to see Metallica. And uh, Faith No More uh, opened up the show, which nice. was amazing. I'm sure. Uh, which we'll have to talk about later on, but at some other show. But uh, and Metallica came out, and j- I mean, the first song they played was Blackened, and they just ripped the ass wow. off the whole stadium. And uh, still, probably the most memorable concert was my first, you know, and, and not going to lie. And you know, you're 15 or whatever, 16, you're kind of scared. I've never been to a concert before. I'm, I'm everybody. All I can smell is weed and beer and everybody's kind of moshing. And I don't know what this is all about, but I'm going to stand my ground and sing as loud as I can and ruin the show for everyone <laughs> in my general area. And it was just amazing. Great show. Great show. Wow. Wow, who it was? Was anybody opening there? Yeah, faith, faith no more. Oh, faith no more. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. it was. It was just two. It was just. Never them. mind. I was totally zoning there. Apparently. And you know, I, I got to wonder how many people have seen Metallica as their first, um, their their first concert. You know what I mean? Especially back mm. then, uh, more so probably than today. But you always yeah. like even I saw them um, two or three years ago at the Big Four at Yankee Stadium. Oh. And uh, it was uh, still like you see people bringing their kids now and stuff because uh, they have kids at this point, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it's a generally, I would say, safer show um, to take kids to if you were going to because, you know, normally you could at least be in the seats. And it, it uh, I don't know, it, it's safer to take kids to, but it's not safer to be on the floor at. I've been at Metallica shows where people are being taken out on stretchers, not because the show is like so hardcore, but because it attracts so many mainstream followers that they don't know how to mosh and they don't know anything about pit etiquette. And uh, I, I mean, I saw like a dude get severely fucked up. Meanwhile, I saw another dude standing right next to the mosh pit holding his beer and his nachos and uh, got knocked around by the mosh pit and got into a fight with somebody and got kicked out before Metallica came on. This is the type of meatheads you kind of got to put up with. Yeah. So whatever, man. Uh, I guess it goes both ways in that respect. Wow. I love it. Nachos, the preferred metal snack, by the way, at any yes. show. And you wash Dude. it down with beer. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. Where, course. Yeah, wearing his uh, New York New York Giants um, windbreaker because he thinks he's at a Giants game. I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've just realized, and you guys sort of put me to shame here, but uh, you guys have both seen Metallica live, and I've never seen them. Really? Never that's, seen them. That's so almost I never had the desire, and here's why. Because uh, when I really became a fan of theirs, of course, it was the early 90s, but I wasn't allowed to go see concerts and stuff, especially metal concerts. You know, I, I just I couldn't do that. I, right. I was in junior high. And by the time that I was coming of age and sort of gaining a lot more independence and, and getting into things was the mid-90s. And uh, so the first 
I would say metal show that I went to see was uh, Nine Inch Nails for the Downward Spiral tour in '94. Uh-huh. Um, bad start. Yeah, That's, and yeah. But that was sort of the caliber of bands that were coming out then, and Metallica was was almost a little bit irrelevant at that point because uh, there were a ton of really heavy bands that were speaking to me and and sort of my my age group at that time. And so you know, I saw Nine Inch Nails, I saw White Zombie, I saw Pantera, you know, and and all these really really great '90s bands that were really really heavy and. Uh, you know, I just never, never got to see them, and I'm never sure that I made the effort because I sort of just wasn't interested in seeing mm-hmm. them because there was so much more other interesting things for me to go out and and see uh, and experience. So, uh, yeah, I understand that because, like I said, I mean, it's not always the best experience at Metallica shows. I've had, you know, really excellent times at Metallica shows, and I've had really shitty times, uh, and it's mostly based on the crowd. <laughs> Um, hmm. I, I mean, when you see them at a special thing, like the big four, or I saw them, uh, years ago, they played at this show that they weren't even scheduled for. And like, there was a big petition to get them to play. It was called tattoo the earth in, and it was part of the tattoo the earth or earth tour. And they weren't on that tour, but New York city didn't have a Metallica date on their tour. So there was a big petition and Metallica came and played at that show. And it was just fucking did, awesome. And did, like that was the crowd was totally into, wow. you know? Did Lars put it on Kickstarter? Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was back uh, on like an online petition um, before before petitions were y- you even had a place to do it online. I don't even know how that happened. But how many times have you seen them, Mike? Uh, thankfully, mercifully, just the one time. I don't wow. have to have a bad Metallica memory. See, yeah, I've, I've seen them five times live wow. over the past ten years. Nice. Uh, 15 and I would years, say actually. my friends that went to the, uh, the following tour like two years later said it was an awful show. So, I mean, I, I, I have that good memory of just almost like uh, almost like when Charlie goes into the chocolate factory and he goes, <gasps> you know, he has, he'll <laughs> always have that memory. I'll always have that Metallica memory. Oh. It just breaks Shit. my heart. See, I actually just remembered a bad time that I saw them on the St. Anger tour. So I've actually seen them six times live, I think. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> I, I buried that one in there, but now it came back out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, arguably their their biggest album as far as mainstream goes, is uh, the Black Album, just self-titled Metallica from 1991. Um, this is one, again, I heard Enter Sandman at my junior high school dances. This was all over MTV. Not only did you hear Enter Sandman, but you heard The Unforgiven. You heard Sad But True. You heard, um, what, countless other... I mean, a lot of tracks from this album on the radio. And I gotta mm-hmm. say... I was happy to hear um, this heavy of music um, on the radio. Um, I actually really dug it um, because, I, again, I'm a big fan of palm muting, and that's something that's that's Hetfield. You know, Hetfield does those riffs, uh, and it, it's a big thing with metal for me personally. I love palm muting. That's so heavy. You know, you do palm muting, and it sounds good, man. Uh, I'm... I'm going to follow you to the grave, you know? Sure. And, and so again, Hetfield can write a great, great riff. 
And uh, there was some heaviest stuff. There was some really heavy stuff on here. And uh, when I was talking about Master of Puppets and how the thing that should not be is, you know, one of, I think, the two heaviest Metallica songs of all time. Um, the other song I was referring to was Sad But True on here. I think, again, a very slow song, but I think very, very heavy. So thick. And, uh, you know, say about and it what you will. You love it or hate it. I mean, Sad But True... I still love it. I do. Mm-hmm. See, it's not that the Black Album is necessarily a bad album. I know it's really divisive for like the old school fans versus the new school fans. Um, but I think even me at this point, I think that this album has been like played to death. Yeah. And it's really worn out on me. I kind of never want to hear Enter Sandman again for the rest of my life. Especially because like, nowadays on the radio, they'll be like, okay, we got some Metallica coming up. There's like a four out of five chance that it's just going to be Enter Sandman for the thousandth time. Sort of like with Black Sabbath. Whenever you hear Black Sabbath, it's always Iron Man or Paranoid. And yeah. like there, there's a hundred other Black Sabbath songs out there. Most of them are better, you know. And, yeah. Well, not, not, not most of them, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I could see why fans of Metallica who liked them before the Black Album wouldn't like this because it's such a big change from the previous albums. I've often said that if if Dragon Force or Shadows Fall suddenly put out a mainstream, normal, heavy album like this, I'd be fucking shocked into in it. I would cry myself to sleep. You know, it would be really terrible for me. But at the same time, Gus is playing for Ozzy, though. Oh, no, I'm thinking Firewind. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. But, I mean, really, this album did a lot to... It it defined where mainstream metal lied and 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 like where 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 grew from was really with the black album you can't say that you know any metal band in the world isn't in some way either influenced or have listened to or like the songs off of the black album Hmm. yeah yeah a mainstream album nonetheless and one that uh i don't know this uh destroy cred or any any sort of legitimacy because that's something that's so important I think in in this genre in metal heavy metal at all um, so much we identify with these bands on a very personal level where we think uh, we, we really have to keep tabs on how legit are they you know these guys aren't posers you know and once you lose that with the fans it is really 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 hard to get it back um and I think Metallica started to do that with some of their fans. I mean, this was a very commercial album. You know, it, it, with Kill 'em All. They're like, kill all the record executives. We hate them. We, you know, kill them all. And with this one, they're just sort of like, hey, the record executives are helping us on this album. Thank you, MTV. You know, let's, <laughs> keep, let's keep putting out... So, so I mean... It's a change in attitude, a change in tone, and um, I don't know. It was, uh, you know, something, uh, something. I think, a great album, but something sort of hearkening toward what is going to happen. Well, sort of, sort <laughs> of. Know? I mean, I, I think... Um... It, it you know I remember one of the documentaries one of the millions of documentaries about Metallica I saw there were uh, Jason Newstead is talking about how 
Bob Roth coming on to the band, the producer, he he was like, you know, he taught us like the 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 beats should go together, you know, boom chick boom chick like that instead of just being all over the place like we were doing, and we really thought that that was great. And it's like, really, you thought that was great? It, it's just very weird to think that a band progressed from, uh, you know, and justice for all to this. It, not that I dislike this album, I I just you know. It's so different and so much more commercial that I definitely could see how people would argue that they sold out with this. Whether or not I agree with that, because I, I don't, I don't think they sold out here. But um, you know, I think that they were they were obviously open to the idea of moving towards a radio friendly sound. And I, I don't know, um, I, I still like this album. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of sick of it myself. <laughs> right, that's what, that's you know, really where I am. Uh, though. What yeah. what I'll say about this album is I do specifically remember uh, they had they MTV pushed the big reveal of Enter Sandman for probably two or three weeks, and they would show brief little clips uh, that we're going to debut the video because no one had heard the song. There was nobody was downloading this. This uh, Napster hadn't happened, at least <laughs> not you know like this. Uh, and they, you know, get ready for the new Metallica reveal coming whatever day it was. And me and my friends sat down in my living room. I remember, I'll never forget sitting there next to John and Enter Sandman came on and we were so excited. And throughout the song, we were silent. And when the video ended, we stayed silent and we kind of looked at each other like, huh? And it was an uncomfortable feeling. Because we knew something had changed. We couldn't quite put our finger on it. I don't dislike this album. I got used to it. It's a good album. It is. But but I've never got past that feeling of, this is when everything changed. Yeah. And I don't know if it's Bob. people want to call it the Bob Rock syndrome. Uh, there's more compression on this. Uh, but this... And this did get a ton of airplay, a ton <laughs> of airplay, and oh, probably yeah. still, um, you know, still getting the mandatory Metallica. But this, this was the, uh, and I'll just be honest because I'm, I'm not. I, I, this was my last Metallica album. I did own this, and it uh -huh. was the last one I bought, and um, with the exception of the newer Garage Days, this is the last album that I listened to. In full, I knew. I mean, I know all the words to all the songs. Like I said, it's you know what? It's a good album, but it shocked me and my friends that it was a Metallica album, especially on the heels of Injustice for All. The pace was gone. Yeah. The fire, the the engine seemed to have changed. I can understand. Anyway. Yeah, no, I can understand it. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, I came into Metallica at this point, so I didn't really know that there was anything before it. And as I worked my way backwards, I found all this other stuff that I really liked. Uh, so, I mean, it's an interesting way uh, that, that Metallica created these two different and opposing fan bases. Um, it's just weird. Yeah, and it's heavy and it's deep, but where's the fury? And that they chose to stick with this particular fan base... Pretty much from here on out. Well, I, I think that even even people who like the Black Album uh, 
sort of felt let down by what happened oh, next. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, things were much more neutered here. And it's safe to say that. It, you know, and I'm not, like, even insult, And I'm trying not to insult it too much here just because... I, you know, you can't really say that much bad about the Black Album. It's really just, if it wasn't so played out, we'd be talking about how this is an underappreciated album. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It, it's just that it's, uh, every single song on this album probably showed up on the radio somewhere. Yeah, it's just uh, that we've heard it too much, you know? I know, I know. Oh. Uh, uh, Jesus, man. Uh, you know, and there's good stuff on here. I just don't, don't ever want to hear it again. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I agree, but like I said, my problem is that this is on the heels of Injustice for All. What happened? Where did that fire go? These are these are good songs that I never want to hear again. I'm with you. But what happened? Where did that drive? Where did that power and fury go? Because it went. Yeah. Yeah, it was very much neutered, I'd say. And um, you know, after they were neutered, they like uh became neutered even more. But uh, does anybody else have anything to say here or should we move on to what happened next I mean it was the weird uh, 90s transition that I think we're going to see more clearly with the next release but uh, you know there were a lot of weird things happening right within these few years and um, I'm not sure that uh, the Black Album was necessarily a, a, a product of this weird shift that we saw musically in the 90s but um you know, I, I think it, it it had something. You know, there there was something there, right. and I think with their with their next effort, which was uh, five years after uh, the Black Album, which uh, was unheard of for Metallica, because Kill 'Em All eighty three, then eighty four, eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, ninety one, and then you got to wait a full five years. Uh, there was something something going on there. This is the longest wait that Metallica fans had to uh, go through. To hear any new release from the band, of course, the internet uh, is sort of uh, budding at this point um, with uh, Load, 1996. Mm -hmm. um, I had such high hopes for this because, like I said, I really loved the Black Album uh, at this point in time, and uh, Metallica—they were—they were the band to beat. I uh, hadn't necessarily—I—I. I'm going to mention Pantera here because I sort of think that they are on sort of an, another front, sort of maybe on a, a parallel, almost oppositional right. front with Metallica at this point in time. They were kind of more underground, I'd say, yeah, if you will. Yeah, but uh, they were sort of a counterforce to Metallica and, and the commercialism of Metallica um, and sort of the cred that they had, too. But, uh, you know, I was, man... I had high hopes for this thing, and uh, I couldn't wait for this to come out. And I, I'll tell you what, I could not have been more disappointed for this. I mean, they might as well have been doing, you know, soft rock, you know, or something. Because this was not as hard-hitting, as heavy, and as powerful as I was hoping for. Um I don't know. Mike, is it worth going to you? I mean, you, you stopped listening to them after the Black well, Album. Yeah, I mean, now, don't get me wrong. Some of these songs still got a lot of airplay. I heard a lot of Ain't My Bitch, Until It Sleeps. Until It Sleeps was a huge hit. Uh, King Nothing got a lot of play. But to be honest, uh, I kind of let it go on by. I was like, eh, because I, I was living it. By this point, I'd moved from Fremont, Oakland area, down to L.A., 
And I was living in L.A. when this came out. And I remember the first time I saw the video for uh, Until It Sleeps. And I, I don't even think it was me. I was sitting there and my girlfriend, I think I, think I can quote her, it was, is Lars wearing a fucking feather boa? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I think he is. And, and neither of us are homophobic. That wasn't what we were talking about. But I looked at her and I said, what the fuck have they become? Hmm. You know? And, uh, yeah. And this just, I don't know what it was. And to me, not, and I can, I'm looking at the tracks now. Most of these songs I have not heard, to be honest with you, probably five or six I have. Um, I, I'm wondering, is it just, is it just we've become too rich and too big? I mean, the, like a band's first couple of albums are if they're usually really good, it's because they've been they've been struggling and trying and going without and been hungry and broke as shit, trying to get that album out. And they lived that pain, they lived that hunger, and lived those songs. And once you've got all the money in the world, is it tough to feel that passion? Yeah, I mean, is this Maybe. a big fuck you album? Like, you know, we're gonna do what we want right now, and it really doesn't matter if you buy this. <laughs> well, yeah, you know yeah. what? Is this is this a contractual obligation? Is that what this is? Well, not really, because like what what James Hetfield has said um, in the past couple of years when he's been asked about load and reload, he has said that that these were the wilderness years of Metallica, uh, where they were sort of in territory that they weren't familiar with, and they were trying, they were pushed to promote a different image and style over the substance of the albums to try and sell it. And, I mean, that to me is selling out. And I, I, you know, they weren't being themselves. And I'm not saying a band should never evolve its sound. Every band should evolve its sound at some point or another. I just can't help but feel that they were sort of devolving here. And, I mean, I don't dislike, well, no, I don't, uh, I don't hate Load and Reload. But Load, I mean, there's only like three or four songs on there that I really like. And I mean, some of them, I, I you know, King Nothing is a great song. It could have been on the Black Album. It's really good. Uh, I remember when Until It Sleeps came out, they had the big MTV reveal. Same thing that you, you're talking about with the Black Album. Right. Where, uh, you know, I remember uh, hearing that Samuel Bayer was going to do the video for it. And Samuel Bayer was like my favorite music video director at the time, even though he did go on to make that horrible Night Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, before that, he was a great music video director. He made all the fucking cool videos back in the day. And I was like, this is going to be cool. And then Until It Sleeps was just such a sleepy song, you know? And I mean, yeah, it did become the song of, um, when was that, 96? The summer of 96, I guess. It, it became that song that you heard on the radio continuously, that even now when you hear it, it kind of brings you back to, it brings me back to right before I started high school and stuff. You know what I mean? So I, I was really, uh, I, I, I remember it, but I don't necessarily remember it fondly, especially when you talk about stuff like King Nothing, not not King Nothing, Hero of the Day, I just wasn't that into. I don't know. There's a few other songs on here that are okay. Ain't My Bitch isn't a bad song. It's just, you, you know, whatever. It's kind of jock rock, or if you will. And uh, Bleeding Me is is a is a decent song uh it's just um a different style and i i don't really have too much of a problem with it uh but i don't like a lot of the songs on it and that's the first time that you could really say that about metallica like i said before i don't really like the shortest straw i don't really like this or that but on this album i don't like more than half the songs on load is not to not to jump out of turn is this where james started singing differently or was it 
more on the black album with all the yeah and the whoa and, <laughs> i don't know i mean I, i'm and it, it's it's a funny thing but it, he started singing differently at some point was it here because you guys listen to this I, a I lot think more that than started I started with uh maybe injustice but definitely the black album where okay. he very much enunciated the ends of words with ah you know yeah, like right. i am here ah Yes. You know, or, or something like that. You know what I mean? And actually, Damn, I, he's epic. Uh, Listen to him. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. He holds that much power. And uh, right. that was definitely a James Hetfield sort of ca- uh, characteristic. Um, <laughs> and really I also it's important that to mention that at least on the Black Album, as since I play guitar and you play bass, I mean, you'll probably pick this out as well. Um, maybe a little tiny bit on Injustice, but almost everything on the Black Album and everything I've heard since, Kirk plays everything with a real heavy wah. And I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Oh, everything. And it, yeah. it gets on my nerves because he was so technical yeah, on well. Injustice. I mean, he really was. And, he's, and he doesn't need to rely on that. He's a great guitarist. Why he does it, I don't know. It's a cheap way. The wah is actually a, really, a great way, I guess, depending on who you ask. But um, it's a really cheap way to <laughs> really make whatever you're playing sound somewhat cool. Um, and I don't know, again, if this was a 90s thing and he was just, I mean, I, how much of that was the product of Bob Rock? Bob Rock, You know, and I, I, I just, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, really weird. And with Load, man, it was... Uh, just a huge letdown. I just uh, I didn't like how it was recorded and produced. I didn't like the sound of it. I was expecting black album caliber production, and this was a little more raw. Um, and it just uh, it didn't do it for me. I hated the songwriting, man. They were uh, going places, especially on Reload. Um, what's that song? Uh, Mama said. Yeah, with the steel uh, that's guitars. On, that's on load. Is that that's on load? On. Let yeah. my heart go. I mean, is this Hank Williams I'm listening to, or is this Metallica? You know, I mean, seriously, I, it's it, it was just so out of the mold for them. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't them. And, and uh, you know what it is too is it, a lot of these songs feel very insincere. Mm-hmm. Um, like like I would pick out like Cure and Poor Twisted Me. Um, I don't know. Just some of them just feel so insincere. Like they're not really in the moment. They're not really there singing it. Uh, and I think that's why, like, King Nothing really sounds so much better. Is like, you know, where's your crown, King Nothing? It just sounds like they're so into it. And that's what they really want to be doing. And then the other stuff, they're just doing it because, like, they told me to sing Hero of the Day like this, you know? Right. It, it doesn't feel like um, their heart is in it. And I think that that shows. And I think that people really. Um, we're turned away by that, and um, I don't blame people for that. I mean, I think that there, like I said, I really think that there are good, good songs on here. It's just that it is a real departure from what is great about Metallica, and it's just what is okay about Metallica. You know what I mean? Yeah. And image, I think, is so much a big part of it. And uh, you know, Mike, you talked about that. How this was a big image shift for them. Uh, and they started to become sort of image obsessed, uh, you know, even going back to the Black Album, I think. But uh, for Load, man, they cut their hair. They wore fancy clothes. They got, you know, really artistic 
photographers to do everything for their liner notes and whatever. Um, and this was a really weird, weird sort of thing for them to get into. All of a sudden, these badasses, you know, these guys that were just all metal, they're sort of going artsy and and a little yeah. soft and weird. I mean, it was just, I think, image. How much of a, a role did image play in our perception of this album? Was it purely the music or was it music plus the haircuts and the clothes and, and sort of the well, Napster see, and, at this point too? And we, we, and we talked about how important the image was with the, with the t-shirts and it was important, at least where I grew up, if you were into metal, you probably had, if not a leather, you had a jean jacket with big back patches and all kinds of, sh- you know, shit hanging off of it. And you tried to look a certain way. And I remember I was bowling one night and I looked up and for whatever reason Metallica was on TV and Jason I believe had cut his hair first right am I right about that yeah yeah and, I think so and we looked up and I went god damn Jason cut his hair and I was like well, that's not really that metal and the beauty was is I had cut my own hair short and I'm sitting there razzing on him for not being metal and cutting his hair and, and the irony of my own hair is completely escaping me and listen, folks, James Hetfield had to cut his hair. He was looking like the cowardly lion. He had to do something. <laughs> I was going to say that, man. He was yes, a he total did. lion. Uh, uh, which Beavis and Butthead pointed out for us, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 But yeah, I have a quote here, actually. It's up on Wikipedia um, from James about what was going on at the time. And he says, it's a little long, but I want to just give it here. Lars and Kirk drove on those records. The whole we need to invent ourselves topic was up. Image is not an evil thing for me, but if the image is not you, then it doesn't make much sense. I think we were really after a U2 kind of vibe, Bono doing his alter ego. I couldn't get into into it. The whole, okay, now we're in this photo shoot, we're going to be 70s glam rockers, and I was like, what? I would say half, at least half the pictures that were in the booklet, I yanked out. The whole cover thing, it went against what I was feeling. And that plays into what I'm talking about with just this whole thing feeling insincere. I don't care if a band has an image. I'm a big fan of Marilyn Manson. But, and, you know, other people who've done stuff like that, look at like Alice Cooper or Ozzy Osbourne. All, you know, people can have a fucking image that, that even supersedes the music. But it needs to be somewhere found in yourself and what you want to do. And if you turn that into larger than life, that's fine. Hell, being the cowardly lion is is more true to who James was than uh, this YouTube Bono thing that he's talking about. And that load and reload were, right? I, Wow. I mean, hearing you say uh, straight from James' mouth that he compared this to U2, it's sort of what I was thinking, man. At, at this point, this is sort of, you know, with load and reload, it was sort of Metallica melded with U2 trying to, uh, trying to have that whole image and sort of a new, you know, a, a very modern... Uh, sort of new agey kind of thing that you two had. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's yeah. that sort of thing, especially with the the photography. You know, and and seeing these guys with short hair and nice clothes and everything. I mean, I mean, yeah, where did these guys see? But that's can't they grow up? They I mean, can grow the... up, but you have to show, I think, a more organic progression. You know, something Absolutely. a little more honest. And I and know, legit. I agree with you. I and you have, with... yeah. Sorry, you finish first. I got something to add to that. Okay, I mean, just that they, as, as much as I felt betrayed by the changes, 
you know, that's the thing. A band's got to grow. Am, am I going to be mad at them for trying new things? I mean, because if they just made, if they just made kill them all over and over and over, I wouldn't have listened past the second time. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of a weird spot. You have to be smartly ad- uh, able to adapt. And adaptability is a big thing, especially if you want to staying power in metal. Look at Ozzy. Ozzy went from being the, the stoner rock of the 70s, right, to the ridiculous glam metal of the 80s, into the dark period in the 90s with no more tears and osmosis, into like just being able to put out whatever his jock jams are these fucking days. I don't even know. Uh, but Ozzy has stayed around because he was able to change, but never in a way that felt like it was really forced or fake you know even right. if it was silly at times and it fucking was silly at times trust me but but ozzy has managed to stay around and keep that credibility because uh, you know like what are his strengths obviously he's got you know his own unique voice uh he, he and um i mean the music's almost plays around ozzy yeah. uh, yeah. that's ozzy has does. this uncanny wanna... ability to sort of draw awesome talent around himself and mike we yeah. talked about this before where yeah. like ozzy isn't necessarily like the great thing about ozzy ozzy right, is right. great because of everybody around him that right, he right. happens to draw he uh, he's yeah. he's he, it, it, it's a weird thing where um you know he is equal to the sum of his parts, right. but he can, but he can rise up to the level of like Zach Wilde and Randy Rhodes or Tony Iommi, and then you know sort of trail off towards the end of his career, which is fine. And I mean, well, there's new Black Sabbath out there, so we can't even really say that. I haven't heard the new album yet, and I don't want to get too far off topic with this. But um, to br- bring this back in, you could you you compare Ozzy's metamorphosis over the years and his adaptability versus Metallica's. Yeah. And it's just like Metallica's trying all this shit that's just not them. It's insincere. It's phony. Oh, okay. Uh, you made me think of something, Nick. And I think you, you brought up something very, very important. We're talking about this might be the curse of really long careers. Now, all these guys, are, you mentioned specifically Alice Cooper and Ozzy. Now, mm-hmm. guys with giant stage shows, guys with, with huge presence, but... It's one guy, and they're being backed up by a good band, but interchangeable people. Now, the curse maybe of being Metallica is you've got a giant band with an exceptionally long career, but mm. it's four guys. Oh, yeah. You don't and, have to and, follow one man's vision. You've got maybe – is that what's going on? Is It, it can't yes. be one guy following his path, but you four know, people trying not to kill each other on the road all well, these at least years? three people, you know, in right. interchangeable no, bases. True. You know. I'm so, but, you're absolutely right. But you're forgetting <laughs> the man behind the scenes on these things. You had uh, – what, what's his name? Rasmu- oh, I forgot his name. Fleming Rasmussen. Okay, yeah. you had him Bob leading Rock. those or, original yeah. albums. Later on, you had Bob Rock, and then um, you, you know you had uh, what, what's his name, Rick Rubin, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, later he's on, pretty big though. Yeah, Rick. Yeah, yeah. yeah and big. and and that's where that is the only place that you find um, the, the captain of this ship of Metallica changing. You know what I mean? You, you find things changing behind the scenes rather than in front. Um, so it's it's really weird, and and yeah, you're not having the uh, the guitarist change for fuck's sake, like <laughs> like you are with Metallica, or excuse me, with Ozzy. So it, it is a little weird. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I I th- it, you know with Reload, uh, you, you get more of the same, and I think that that's because of uh, 
Bob Rock too. I actually like Reload a little bit better. I don't know if anybody else has anything to say about Load in particular, or if you mind me segueing a little. No, that's great because I was saying uh, I was gonna say that uh, when I heard that Reload was coming out, man, I'm like, thank God they learned all the wrong things they did with Load, and finally, I hope that Metallica is gonna release a great album here with the reload because this <laughs> is sort of, you know, this is a reboot. You know what I mean? And, right. uh, I shortly learned that the, you know, everything that they, uh, released on reload was everything that they just sort of had extra from load and just put on another album. I'm right. like, son of a bitch. See, <laughs> like, and, and I, I, yeah, you know, I actually like the first, I'd say, maybe five tracks off Reload, which is like Fuel, Memory Remains, Devil's Dance, Unforgiven 2. Oh, yeah. I mean, And, and Better Than You. It's not to but, say there aren't some good songs and good riffs, but... Right, but uh, I mean, how much of it feels like Leftovers then in exactly. those remaining... Yeah. Uh, what were there, eight more songs after that? So in Too the many. other... Yeah, it just felt like Leftovers. Like, this is what we couldn't fit on load and here you go we needed something to put with the couple of good songs we had okay well let's let's also not forget that this is also the music industry has changed at this point we're no longer selling albums digital age is here downloading is here and people are trying to make big singles now yeah and i mean probably on load as well i mean i wasn't you know yeah i actually heard um even from load you know just being online um in the 90s i heard um devil's dance and two by four um, as live downloads uh, during the like mid '90s, before mm-hmm. the album even came out, you know. So even though the world wasn't necessarily connected as we are now, there was still a presence out there. And uh, you know, I, I heard those songs. And I'm like, well, those are raw. Those are live. You know, we're we're gonna hear what we're gonna hear on CD. And I was still buying CDs at the record store. At that point in time, and uh, for many years. Uh, uh, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> but reload. I mean, were you guys were you guys like this with me? Where you're like, uh, well, at least you know Nick. You know, not not Mike because I'm, yeah, I'm wondering just out, going. You know, what happened to these guys? Yeah. That's all I'm saying at this point. Uh, but you know, as far as being a disappointing album with load and reload, were you like anticipating sort of a triumphant return to Metallica? <laughs> as well, I was, and then being especially, like, well, you know, especially with like the memory remains was the first single. They yeah. put the best song out as the first single, essentially. Dumbass. Uh, you know, and I didn't mind Fuel. I, st- I still think that Fuel is one of the great car chase songs ever written, uh, greatest ever written <laughs> for car chases. But um, just you to, know, can I interrupt with Fuel? What's that? Because uh, I actually love the song Fuel. But I was very suddenly pissed off at that song "Fuel," because on some sort of uh, reward or uh, award show, um, I don't know if it's the like oh, Grammys, yeah. the goddamn whatever, uh-huh. Avril Lavigne covered "Fuel." What? It was and, a tribute show to Metallica. A bunch of bands. Oh, was that what it was? Whatever yeah, it was, it was uh, on the TV, and I'm like, I just won't necessarily watch this at all except oh here's some girl and this is fuel and she's you know like what? give me fuel oh. give me fire give me that which i desire uh, and i'm like wow this is a metallica song that's actually kind of yes. cool for a pop 
whore, as, you know, that is <laughs> Avril Lavigne. And then afterwards, I read that she's like, yeah, I don't know much about Metallica. I just sort of, you know, pulled something off one of their recent albums right. and shit. And I'm like, you fucking whore. And that's, you know. Yeah, but didn't Snoop much- Dogg did Sanitarian? No, Snoop Dogg did a song, too. Snoop can uh, do no wrong. Okay, I'm I sorry. Remember. Whatever you say, Snoop can do no wrong. Snoop Lion book. did yeah. a song. Dude, Snoop Lion. MTV yeah. Icon was the name of the show. Because that's, that's also the one when Corn <laughs> Corn yeah. played, and they played two of one. Wow. Wow. Man. But uh, sorry to interrupt you, Nick, and, and everything, I but uh, I just had to, to, I had to... I had to pipe in there with fuel because... I was that thinking was, it. That was... <laughs> Sort of an uber sort of mainstream affiliation with Metallica that was just like, man, Metallica is so far like <laughs> like bred into our culture, and like they're almost sort of a given uh, to everybody, and it just sort of it doesn't even count. I mean, Metallica sort of doesn't even count, you know, they're in our culture nowadays. You know, it's, they're middle-aged parents at this point. Yeah. And I mean, you sure. don't you, you you don't listen to the shit your mom and dad listen to, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, I I think about this juxtaposed against like other bands, like I, I feel like Slayer, over the same time period, grew so little. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's exactly. nice that Metallica was taking chances, but I I mean, even if we weren't happy with what was there, like what if they just put out like like Mike said earlier, kill them all a hundred hundred and fifty times. Even if they put out Injustice for All over and over and over again, we'd be like, oh, it's Metallica, yay! But we wouldn't yeah. be, we wouldn't have so much to talk about now, would we? <laughs> <That's true>. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of band personalities have come out, especially with Lars. And James, of course, with his his demons, yeah, and um, you know our re- our revolving basis, um, and with Kirk, I think Kirk has actually been the coolest of anybody. I mean, he's just oh yeah like, yeah yeah. He's like man, whatever you know. He's just gonna play guitar, and he's sort of you know going with it. But uh, you know, they have not been helped. I think with the very strong personalities of especially Lars. And and uh, then maybe James, but uh, I think James is far more sympathetic than Lars because mm-hmm. Lars is a fucking dick. Right. And seriously, right. I, I, I think we all agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> Lars. Lars is just terrible. He's this little fucking spider monkey bouncing around on drums. Fuck him, Jesus. And I mean, he's it, it's just he's the horrible taste in your mouth when you think Metallica. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it really sucks, man. He's like, fuck you. I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, that's him. Exactly. Yeah. And and what kills me is he's rich and for how successful Metallic is, he's really not that good of a drummer. He's just exactly. not. Exactly. Exactly. I, um, I hear that. I yeah. mean, I'm I'm less technically proficient than you two, but I've heard that from uh a lot of other people, so Well, he is it's up you know, he's there with so many more talented people with James and Kirk and and whatever he's in Metallica, so I mean you can you can be mediocre, sort of in the rhythm section of Metallica, and you're gonna kick ass. I would, but I would say I would say for for a case in point for a real example of this, go onto YouTube and search. Uh, there was a there was a time when uh, 
Lars could not drum for some reason, and they brought in other guys to drum. Watch the videos of, I, I think it's Joey Jordison from Slipknot playing oh, yeah, yeah. drums from Metallica. Mm-hmm. It's like, I heard that, and I was like, wow. that!" And I honestly said, that's what Metallica could have sounded like? It's right. unreal. Mm. I, I was How so little mad. of an engine Lars contributes. When you hear Joey Jordison play any song, it's on YouTube. After you hear our podcast, go check it out. It's night and day different how amazing it sounds. Uh-huh. No, there was a, that was actually around the time when I had seen Metallica, one of the six times I saw him, and I was like, God damn it, why couldn't he have gotten sick or whatever when 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 they were coming by here and I could have seen Joey Johnson <laughs> play trumps for them. Wow. Wow. But uh oh man. The the one redeeming thing about this time period is that they did put out the entirety of Garage Inc. Um, yes. Which, which really, like, I thought that that was, like, so great. And it's still one of my, now, this is one of my go-to albums for Metallica because it covers this great span of their whole career with, like, that sort of modern, more radio-friendly rock. But it's also got, like, the old, old sound in it. And, you know, just to think of some of the arrangements on stuff, like Merciful Fate, the song, yes. I fucking love that. That's one of my favorite things that they have done. Um, uh, there's other things in there that kick so much ass. Die, 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 my darling, and Sabracadabra. Um, mm. So fucking cool. And then what do they release as a single? Whiskey in the Jaro. My, my, and I love Thin Lizzy, <laughs> but my favorite on that album has got to be Astronomy by Blue Oyster Cult. Awesome. BOC. Yeah. Love Astronomy. Oh, it's good. Oh, yeah. So cool. And then, of course, it's got the second disc with all the old covers, like the ton of uh motorhead shit and yeah bread fan and, and am bread i evil? Fan. i love that goddamn I mean, song shit. yeah at this time period bread fan and am i evil were getting radio play out by me that's fucking crazy wow. you know bread Damn. fan was so heavy yeah. for that time man exactly it <laughs> yeah. really sounded like old metallica and when i first heard it i was like wait a minute what what album is this on you know um very very wow. cool stuff man and i i think that that really Re, you know, this is why I kind of don't feel so negative about Metallica throughout the end of the 90s, because a lot of people were hung up on Load and Reload, and I was like, but Garage Inc. is awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. I still bought that album because it was so awesome, because not only did I, you know, finally uh, get that uh, Garage Days re-revisited cassette that I would, you know, so, so hold cherished. Yeah. <laughs> throughout so many years mm-hmm. but uh because they decided to record a lot of other actually really great covers and maybe not so many other covers that i would expect from metallica like tuesday's gone i mean okay got I, some pepper on that I, one I, I, exactly exactly thank you mike because pepper is the positive yeah on this but uh it's almost too southern for Metallica. It's like Metallica. Well, Metallica Het- is not southern at all. No, but Hetfield has always loved corrosion of conformity and has always loved Pepper, and it made sense to do a Skinner song. Uh, yeah, I, I I appreciate that and love that, but that's still sort of it's not, not Metallica. Them. Yeah, you it's know, not it's them. it's. It's great. I I love that. Thank you, James. Because it's Pepper, I love. Popper. I love fucking. Are you kidding me? Popper's playing the harmonica. Exactly. What's and that's going really, on? Really, that's yeah. really cool. That is really cool in my book. But that is not Metallica. Yeah, it's I mean, let's put it out on something else. James Hetfield solo album or something. I mean, you know, 
but not on Metallica, for fuck's sake. If I'm listening to Metallica, I just, I really want to be rocked. I want to be saying, man, this is so heavy. I've not heard anything heavier than I'm hearing now. And that's what I expect from Metallica. And they failed to deliver that in the 90s for me. Um, Because they set the bar so high for metal bands and albums in the 80s that uh, I was... I was really hoping that they would do that for me again. I mean, bring back that feeling. I mean, really, really change the game. And they sort of went their weird way and sort of let other bands like Pantera sort of weave that path of how heavy can it get. Right. You know? And and not just Pantera, of course. There was also like, oh, yeah, yeah. like people taking sort of that the different sounds you had heard with Metallica and turning them into other things. Like Life of Agony is a band that comes to mind as like that that quintessential '90s metal sound, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm not saying that they really sounded like Metallica, but there were elements there that they were uh, using and even in ways perfecting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, do you guys even want to talk about S&M? Oh, that's, that's all their old songs, but with an orchestra, which uh, was, of course, in the clip. And I had to put in there, um, you know, the thing that should not be, because that uh, mm-hmm. is extremely heavy, but extremely orchestral uh, during that track. But, uh, I don't know, does that have anything to say with sort of where Metallica was, I mean, in the late 90s, or we're getting into 2000s now, I mean... It was popular you know, to do that. A lot of bands uh, did it. Well, we are lo- so big now, let's fucking uh, write with an orchestra, because that's how big we are. You know what I, I don't mean? Know. I don't know. I don't. I kind of wonder about how... I will say I did like Creeping Death. I thought the pause, the refrain in the beginning was pretty nice, but whatever. You know, No Leaf Clover is not a bad song either way. I've heard him play it live without the symphony, obviously. Uh, but I think it is the song that works best with with the symphony. Uh, the other one, most of the other ones, nothing is really added with, I would say, like 80% of the songs there. Uh, you know, I think Devil's Dance makes off a little with the symphony. Um, but really, it doesn't really add anything. And I mean, it's got such an... Such an you know, it seems, again, like some sort of marketing move, and it seems like it's got an air of pretentiousness to it. Yeah, it's like we're trying to be Rush at this point. I mean, do you, do you get a Rush kind of feel with this? Oh, I don't like, I don't like feeling like it's a Rush feeling. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I love Rush. I love I do, too. Yeah. I do sorry. Too. But I it's sort of like they're but, trying you know. to be Rush, but they sort of don't have the cred to be Rush, and they're sort of ramming themselves into a rush sort of status. Lars yes. isn't worthy of yeah. carrying uh, Alex, I mean, uh, carrying Neil Peart's sticks. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. I was uh, just about to say some really, probably bad inflammatory things about Lars versus uh, Neil Peart, but uh, it's probably not not very, very cool. Uh, I uh, Anyhow, we can anyhow, say that afterwards. I'll say uh, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna edit that. Probably, nice. maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> um, but uh, after S and M, which was sort of a. Uh, well, there was a couple of years where nothing came out. 
Yeah, nothing came out, and then they're like, well, fuck this, we're old, and we sort of need to, uh, you know, bring back our old Master of Puppets sort of fan base. And so, what did we get? Well, man, before the album came out, I remember every piece of promotional material, every preview, every interview, every article, uh, DJs on the radio who had heard the early stuff, every piece of info about St. Anger said this will sound like old Metallica. Just wait until it gets finished. (laughs) And uh, what the people who heard it didn't realize was that they had no intention of actually finishing off the album. (laughs) Well, you could uh, hear old-school Metallica uh, in the event that you were in the garage that they were practicing in. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, while they, you know, were thinking about songs to record on their next album. Uh, Because, uh, oh my God. I mean, who produced it? Was this Bob Rock? Yes, this was Bob Rock's last album with the band. This is Bob Rock like, pretty much hoping he would be the bass player, I think. Right, right. Uh, uh, no. Pretty much, dude, because he did play bass with them because this was after Jason left and before they got Robert. So he did he did all the oh, bass shit. on the album, dude. And it, it's a great example of how pandering to what you think your fans want can wow. blow up in your fucking face. They said that they made this sound so raw on St. Anger because that's what so many bands seem to be doing those days and they really wanted to be in that arena. Dude, what bands were they listening to that were making <laughs> raw sounding music like this? Yeah, let's let's uh record our drums as shitty as possible and make them sound like I'm fucking playing on some uh, you know, like my garage, you know, my my garbage cans. Right. Or something. I mean, seriously. I mean, they went way too far. I mean, yeah, you can sound raw, which is cool. But still, you have to uphold some sort of uh, production, uh, you know, status and uh, do things right. I mean, Lars, I mean, I don't think he gave a shit about how his drums sounded. He's like, fuck this, you know. And then, you know. Uh, I'm going to say Rolling Stone gave him four out of five stars, which tell you how fucking pointless Rolling Stone magazine is. <laughs> uh, well, sure, sure it is. Yay, Rolling Stone, you know. Damn, dude. And I mean, I remember when this album came out, when the first single came out before the album, the radio stations and the MTV did the same thing. We're going to be playing it every hour, you know? Uh, Not not on MTV. It was actually Fuse and MTV2 at the time because MTV started playing all that other shit. But the radio played it you know, 10 times in that first day or whatever. And I remember we were listening to it, and the first time we heard it, we were like, whoa, new Metallica. And then the second time we heard it, we were like, I really don't like this one part where they're, you know, uh, Mike, you just said in that montage that it sounded like they were rapping or something. <laughs> yeah, and it's, exactly. It's Robert Trujillo's backing vocals in the sa- song St. Anger where he's going, you push it out, you push it out. It sounds terrible. That's and not even the worst of his rap metal that he's no, trying to no. do. He's like, shoot me a dead. I ain't, or shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. Shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. And like, I mean, James, I'm sorry. You're like beyond middle age at this point. You're recovering from alcoholism. I mean, you're. I liked him better as the angry drunk guy. You are not. Exactly. Exactly. Not to be rude. I'm glad he's healthier mentally, but I think he he was a lot more uh, driven when he was an angry man. And Metallica is not the exception. To any of this, so many bands, so many artists have done their greatest stuff 
while they are so drunk or so high that they don't know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. And Metallica is like a study in this right now because they, I'm sorry, but uh, James especially was so much better when he was drunk off his ass, uh, you know, through, you know, even the Black Album. He was yeah. he was great. And once he sobered up, Load was a weird transitional. Garage Inc. was weird. But with, uh, with uh, you know, Load, especially St. Anger was his first sober album, I think. And I don't know, James. It, it was, <laughs> I don't know, man. You make much better albums drunk off your ass, and maybe that's not your bag here in life. It's funny because so many musicians would need to be drunk off their ass to make an album like this one. Like, you know, that just, dude, what were they thinking here? And I mean, all the songs are like so long. They actually, and I I actually put this together back when I first heard this album. I was like, this album sounds like Load or Reload, except they didn't trim any of the songs into that four-minute radio friendly range and they didn't do any engineering at all yeah they forgot the whole producing sort of uh, part of it they were just like yeah here's the raw tracks fuck them we'll you know put them out right 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 yeah yeah i don't even know man (laughs) i don't know what else to say it was just such a mess i mean you know live they for the saint anger tour they played some of these songs like saint anger and frantic and they played different versions of them live that were actually better than what is on the album and it seems like they just didn't put put together you know the song like they wanted to and if they just spent more time working on it they could have really had something there dude i i I know saint anger specifically the album the version that they played live instead of starting with like that deep riff started with um you know the uh it, it actually just started with like um James just singing like quietly, saying anger on my neck, you know, quietly to him, you know, almost to himself in an arena. And it, it grew from that into the song of St. Anger. And it was such a better version that it's like, this is probably what they would have done had they taken six months more on the album, you know? Wow. Wow. And I, I lost every bit of respect for James Hetfield when I saw him give an interview with Mistress Julie on Uranium on Fuse, uh, which used to be like my favorite show, by the way. Uh, but she, she asked him about the album not living up to ex- expectations. And his answer, I'll, I'll try and find the video of it online and maybe we could take the clip from it. But I remember he, he said something along the lines of, <clears throat> with regards to the album not living up to expectations, his answer was, well... I blame the fans for having expectations of us. I blame them for expecting something that, uh, you know, we weren't going to do. And, and it's just like, dude, fuck Holy you. Holy shit. If I could wow. find these. Seriously? I don't know, I don't know the exact. Someone get that man a beer. Right. It was. <laughs> yeah. Get the cock out of your mouth and drink a beer, James. I mean. Oh, it was terrible. Wow. I'm going to try and find that clip and maybe we could tack oh it on. Oh, my God. I hope so. God damn it. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that uh, actually was something else that I was uh, going to bring up um, is sort of th- the band's interaction with the fans throughout the years. And I think earlier on, it was a lot more positive. But I'll tell you what, everybody, and I'm telling across the board, 
everybody that I've talked to in fucking like 10, 15 years of, yeah, I went to see Metallica and I, yeah, I, I got to see James. I got to see Lars. I got to see whoever. Everybody was like, yeah, they were, they were sort of dicks. You know, they, yeah. they sort of blew me off. I mean, I, I was up at the bar, you know, and they, they were there and they were having a beer and I was like, hey, what's up? And there was like, like, you know, dude, like, like, fuck you, you know? And it, like, they are the biggest assholes towards the fans of any band. I mean, seriously, I, any band that I've heard of across the board, so many people uh, I've heard of and... uh I've got that a story on that. says a lot. I mean, that that plays a lot. I mean, even go back and um, uh, another podcast, and I know we're not going to like, you know, be the sort of podcast that promotes a lot of other podcasts and stuff. But uh, with uh, the uh, Cadaver Lab, you know, the course collect uh, the uh, corpse cast, you know, with Mike and uh, you know Shane from Die Monster Die. Shane has a great fucking story about. Uh, actually, he he opened. His band, Die Monster Die, I think, opened for Metallica years what? ago. Really? Yeah. And wow. he was down in the bar. And uh, again, this is a very abridged story and something that you do need to hear from Shane's mouth. And was on a podcast. And I'm, I'm sort of trying to give you the, uh, the essence of what he said. But uh, uh, Shane was at a bar. And he was there, he just opened for Metallica or whatever, and they came down, and it was James and Lars. And he was like, hey, man, you know, it was really cool, you know, whatever, you know, let's hang out, let's have a beer. And they were complete fucking dicks to him. They blew him off. They're like, dude, we're going to the bus, whatever, you know. And they wouldn't even talk to him. They wouldn't even make the attempt to give the impression that they are trying to hook up with the fans or trying to hook up with even another band that was there. And that is the pattern with James and Lars. And I'm sorry, you guys, James and Lars, you have so much talent and are so brilliant. You've done so many, so many great things and uh, can come up with so many brilliant riffs. But I'm sorry, you guys are fucking dicks. You know, it's. I think that has a lot more to do with Metallica's legacy than it does uh, with their music, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, they have great riffs and can, you know, write some great songs, but, you know, on the personal level, these guys are assholes, you know? They, you know, and in the metal genre that we're in, again, like I said before, so much weight is given towards legitimacy and connection with your fans and you're you're like so much metal man and you are there just because this kicks ass this is so heavy and and everything i mean once you lose that it's so hard to get it back and metallica has been there you know so (sighs) i saw i read an interview or an article years ago and uh, when they were talking about the change of Metallica and the change of style, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the person said, you know, Metallica pretty much invented this sound, and I guess we have to let them destroy it. 
It's their right. It's their right to do so. And then then came the local joke. They're like, oh, man, Metallica sold out in like five minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean that concert? Yeah, sorry. Misunderstood. You know, it's just what a quick change um, in the end. Maybe they're just too fucking rich for their own good. Well, I mean, you don't don't have to be a nice person to be a good performer, you know, but it means so much more and it's so much more lasting if you are. I mean, James, he still showed up on uh, Primus. He still played yeah. on, uh, you know, Primus, uh, what, the Enipop CD. He was on there, and he played with, uh, what, Rage Against the Machine? Was he on a Rage, on a live album or something like that? And, uh, I mean, James, I think James is so much more legit, you know, than a lot of, uh, you know, even Lars, because Lars yeah. is Metallica and period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? no, I... I agree. But uh, I don't know. Nick, what do you think? I mean, going through <laughs> the 90s, man. I, I think uh, I've made it clear that I do not like Lars. And uh, I don't think anybody uh, actively goes like, oh, man, I like Lars so much, except for wannabe drummers, right? <laughs> I mean, Lars is, that, or Lar, Lars is everything that is insincere and phony about Metallica. And James really does have that sort of um, sincere heart about what Metallica should be. You could tell from the quotes that I've given here, except for that one about uh, that the fans are wrong for assuming what they're going to get. And, um, oh, you know, it seems like in these quotes that if, once again, when we play that what-if game of what if Cliff Burton was still around, from everything that I ever heard about Cliff Burton, it seems like he would have, you know, taken more of a stance with James against doing this image-related stuff, and maybe there would have been a dam against the flood of Lars. Mm. Mm. So. <sighs> flood of Lars. Oh. That sums it up. The, the flood, flood of, Lars. of Lars, man. Flood. Yeah, and we've it's, seen... It's we're being swamped by a, a 500 gallons of mediocre Danish drumming. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh. let's let's round this out with uh, their their uh, most recent release and actually an EP on top of that, which was pretty much songs that we didn't release on this album. It decided <laughs> to release now, but uh, with uh, uh, what was it? Death magnetic. Death magnetic. Uh, yeah, I actually death. like a song on this album. Well, <laughs> oh, the lead up. Like, oh, wow. Now, I, I got to say, though, the lead up to this album, nearly identical to the lead up to uh, what was the, uh, the to St. Anger. And I, I was yes. like, oh, God, it's going to suck. Because everybody was saying, oh, man, uh, you know, every, <laughs> every preview, every interview, every article, every DJ who heard something early, everybody said, guys, you won't believe it. It kind of sounds like old Metallica. You will and, shit your pants when you hear this yes. album. Yes. The, the difference was this album actually is probably the closest to old Metallica you could ever hope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there this are some pretty much good hope, songs on here. This is what I was hoping for after Master of Puppets, you know, and uh, except that they sort of missed the mark a lot that they're, they're a lot older now and the production again is maybe not great, and for fuck's sake, the Unforgiven Three. Yeah, seriously, never write a sequel to a song. There's anybody, so many anybody. unanswered questions uh. from the Unforgiven Three. <laughs> yeah, we had to do another. And uh, dude, can't one Unforgiven uh. just be definitive? But you know what? The album itself is not bad. I actually, um, 
I think you, you could really sit down and listen to this whole album. Um, I, I think I like, um, uh, no, I definitely, definitely like uh, the first single, The Day That Never Comes Best off this album. So they kind of led with the best again, which kind of sucks when you want to buy an album from a band. But, um, you know, that is a really good song. And that is the closest to old Metallica that you could hope for, where it goes from slow to heavy to fast to crazy fucking guitar solo from the stars. Is it too little too late, man? I mean, mean, we've gone so many years, over a decade. And they have just pissed us off from did, what one, pissed me off. Oh, uh, what what pissed me off about it, dude, was I was like, if they could do this, why didn't they just always fucking do exactly. this? Exactly. But I mean, I, I, mean I, I was not gonna, you know, uh, turn back that gift. I still really enjoyed uh, it. So, yeah. I, even I, I, I heard one song from this album, and I love it. Uh, All nightmare long. I thought it was All a great song. It's great, man. Yeah. It's got a cool music video too. Um, I didn't but, chance the rest of the album, but I'm like, man, that song kicks ass. I like that song. No, you but know what? The like, album, it, it's not bad. You can't really say that this is not, like bad. Not not compared to the other shit that we had to sit through. And maybe maybe this one really benefits because it came after Saint Anger. But there's yeah. definitely at least a few other songs on here that are worth listening to. Some of them sound a little too similar. Like I always mix up the Judas Kiss and My Apocalypse because they both sound very similar. The instrumental Suicide and Redemption is not that great, but but it's good enough. It's good enough compared to what uh, the awfulness that could have followed. Uh. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I've I mean, then again, I've never heard their collaboration with uh, what's his head, Lulu. What the oh, f- my Lou God. Reed. Lou Reed. I, yeah, I, I don't know. So maybe oh there is my. maybe they saved up all their awful energy and put it into that and put the good stuff in here, man. But but I don't know. I, I, I it's not like I love Death Magnetic, but I think it's real good. And if they could just keep putting out a few more albums like this before they all die. I'll actually look back on them more favorably than, you know, I have previously. Oh, Personal. wow. Before I unload on Death Magnetic. Hey, um, unload. That could be the next album. Unload. Reload, yeah. unload. <laughs> Mike, you've heard some things. And yes. again, you're very positive toward what you've heard. Um, what is your, what's your outlook on Metallica from here? They're very old. And been They're through very, a lot. Is there a great album? Do you think in their midst that no. you could? Uh, no, I, I, I really think that um, at this point, and I almost consider myself an outsider because I'm so far removed from like the last three, four albums that I'm like learning about them new on this last album. I, I really think that that they are at this point chasing. They're chasing the dragon at this point, and they're just too old to catch it. I think they're afraid that they're going to be remembered for a bunch of, well, commercially successful albums, but they're going to be remembered for constantly adapting their music to meet a younger audience, to maybe be more radio-friendly. And I think they're trying to fight back against that. I mean, maybe they're at the age now where every man and every woman at some point tries to make sense of their life and figure out what good they did. Maybe that's where they're at in their career. Um, I, I, I think there's many problems between uh, James and Lars. I think Robert Trujillo is a bad fit for this band. I loved him in Suicidal Tendencies, but if he's taking Infectious Grooves rap nonsense 
as his co- contribution to the current Metallica, I just think it's a complete waste. Um, but whatever, all success to all of them. But uh, I don't think I, I, I think the tank's out of gas. Yeah. You can <laughs> compress it as much as you want. You can go to Rick Rubin because Rick Rubin has saved a few bands. But seriously, uh, they're turning 50. You know, <laughs> stop. My God, just stop. Aww. Yeah. I mean, you know what's totally funny? I got to say this, man. On YouTube, I just put on to have background music of the day that never comes since we're talking about it, right? The suggested videos on the right are all music videos except for, for some reason, a video of George Carlin called The Four Groups That Gotta Go. You know, know, it seems fitting that that's right next to Metallica because, yeah... I, you know, Death Magnetic is the high note that they should walk away on, for fuck's sake. It, it, unless they really have more like this in them. But even that, yeah, they're going to be like 50. I mean, what do we have to... They're in their 50s now. Uh, what do we have to look forward to? Like, the point when they're in their 70s, like Ozzy still doing that, like, jumping jacks on stage and shit? Oh, that's, my God. That's sad. That's, that's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Ozzy can still sing like a motherfucker, but... Uh, doesn't it, know the it, words anymore. Half half of going to see him is going to see the train wreck, and you know that that's part of the show, and you just have to kind of accept that. Just to I don't, say you went to see Ozzy. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, dude, that's what's going to happen with Metallica 20 years from now when they're still playing, and we're like, really? Yeah, really? Too little too late. I mean, that's what it is with Death Magnetic. Yeah, it might be actually a listenable album. If you just forget that it's Metallica trying to really be Metallica, you know, I just, I saw it as, yeah, I can listen to this, to this album, but they're like these old guys trying to recoup what they have not been for a lot of years. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's like they're, they're trying to make up for all the horribleness that's happened since like 1988 and uh you know i don't know if i i see this album through that screen i understand why you'd feel that way yeah i do um but i i mean to me i think it goes back to the point of sincerity because i feel like you know with the day that never comes i feel like these are like really their words coming out again this is really their sound they're actually letting kirk play you know what i mean And I feel like that, to me, says a lot about... Well, I mean, it's a lot that has to do with why I like the album. And right. what, I, what I like about the songs that I do like off of it. But when you're, when you're selling your album, when you're putting out to the DJs, when your press kit is basically saying, hey, we're going to try really hard to sound like ourselves again, it's time to stop. Yeah, that's kind of weird, yeah, I guess. True. Yes. True, true. And they even put out an EP... Beyond um, Death Magnetic. Uh, yeah, Beyond Magnetic. Beyond. Uh, yeah. has, any, has anybody heard it? I have. Actually, I, I downloaded have, I have it. Too. I paid for it, and I bought it. Yeah, you uh, don't want to say you downloaded it without saying that you paid for it. First. No, I, I sincerely, man. I was on Amazon, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, holy shit, I can buy this for like $1.98 or whatever. So, hell, I'll see what the latest thing that Metallica has done. Uh, so I was treated to four tracks that was... Pretty much the same thing I heard on Death Magnetic, which oh, yeah. was enjoyable. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not that it's not enjoyable and a good listen. And like, yeah, all right, fun times. I just heard a good song. 
Yeah, but, but come on. It's, you, is yeah. this Metallica? <laughs> I mean... <sighs> I think Beyond Magnetic is just like, we had these couple of leftover songs, and we know you'll pay for them. So whatever. Yeah, so the, There's th- one yeah. good song on there, and I forget which one it is. That's how good it was. I forgot the name of it. Well, my dollar uh, ninety eight went right up <laughs> Lars's nose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on this, so Paying for another golden swimming pool. Yeah, and some cocaine. A lot of cocaine for Lars, because... <laughs> All right, I won't go Take, there. I'm like, that's kind of libelous. What are we doing? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but uh, that is that spans the whole career of Metallica, going from nothing whatsoever, you know, whatsoever to uh, you know, as far as producing Kill 'Em All and doing their own demos and and a lot of hard work and touring, clear up through popularity that is uh, beyond what I think we can imagine and yeah. money um, and what that kind of thing can do to a band as far as songwriting and and uh, even personal issues e- ego uh, and image yeah. and <laughs> oh man has Tennis. anybody se- yeah. has anybody seen the trailer for their next project the movie film through the never Oh wow! Well, I've oh. been on their website, and actually, that that sort of rings a little bit uh, because if you go to Metallica dot com, all you yeah. see is this weird sort of never sort of yeah. logo, and I'm like, oh, what the <laughs> hell? I mean, you guys are even uh, more pretentious than I fucking thought, dude. The logo for the movie, I love it. It's so funny because it's just the word never over Metallica's logo, and that's how I feel about it after seeing the fucking yeah. trailer. The trailer is. The movie is a Metallica concert mixed with some sort of horror sci-fi apocalypse movie where where oh like God. some some roadie for the band played by some young dorky kid is um trying to deliver some important thing to Metallica and it keeps cutting back and forth between Metallica and like the <laughs> the action. Really hope it's full of plutonium. Go ahead. Yeah, oh. I just can't uh I I I don't know, man. I hope maybe, you're maybe, playing maybe. a joke on us, Nick, because... No, yeah, no. really? Is this going to end with, ha-ha, fooled you? I'll Come link on. you the Yeah, Metallica trailer. is actually putting out some badass son-of-a-bitch album coming out it's here. Like, like, oh, it's going to be an IMAX and shit later this fall. Oh, Dude, for fuck's why sake. don't they... If they want to put out a concert movie in IMAX, just do that. Don't add this fucking... Oh. It looks terrible. It looks fucking balls, if you take a look at that, okay? I have no doubt. Uh so what happened, guys? Oh, can uh, you I give guess... me one statement, one sentence, to okay. 1983 till 2013? I mean, what happened to Metallica, uh, Nick? Um, they they lost what made them special, and they trusted uh, that that record company executives and their business manager Lars and boneheaded producers would lead them to to glory and, and the, you know they're always looking to top themselves and i at least appreciate that and i'm glad that they choose to experiment but they should have followed their hearts and that's why i i'm okay with death magnetic because i feel like they actually got on the same page with a producer and with what they wanted to create and i feel like they found that again but i don't know how long they can hold on to that for but that's what happened to Metallica. They they follow your heart is the moral of the story. Wow. Well said, Mike. What do you think? Um, How would you put that 
into your own words? I, I really think what happened to Metallica was that the band started off so underground, so game-changing, so word-of-mouth, traded by tapes, and the fans actually made them so big. The fans actually made them mainstream. The fans made them the standard by which all of the metal was going to be judged. And at that point, you are a giant train that you probably can't control. Egos get involved, drugs get involved, and suddenly you have to please people across three generations. And I think no matter what you do, you're going to let someone down. Well said. Well said. And I have to agree with that. Um, I mean, once you are an underground band, uh, you're doing things on your own terms, doing things that are groundbreaking. Um, Metallica was there, and uh, they did so many things that were brilliant, fucking brilliant, that nobody else even thought to do, unless they were fucking stupid. And Metallica went out there, they did it, were so successful, and built upon that, and... I don't think they just really knew how to deal with that apex, with that 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 brilliance that they had achieved. Um, and I don't know, as much as I would love to bash Lars, that cocksucker, and, you know, James, of course, has had his demons and everything, like I said. Um, I got to give them credit, man, and I have to respect them. And I don't want to bash them at all. Um, I want them to go down as serious pioneers as far as metal goes, man. And and doing things on their own terms early on and, and breaking the rules, man. And even if you you got to record with Dave Mustaine, it's all right. You know, you, you do that for a few albums or, you know, for, for a while until you release an album. But uh, I don't know. As much as I dislike the personality of of Lars and even James um man i i sort of love those guys for doing what they've done for the music that i love throughout the years and uh wow that's all i can say for metallica but uh as far as i mean do i get excited about new metallica releases no I mean, I, I, I'm sort of curious as to what they're doing, but uh, it's not what the, it, it, it was, you know, back maybe 10, 15 years ago with them. So uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's sort of weird. Are, are you guys, do you guys care about what Metallica is doing right now? And uh, <laughs> if they're no. releasing an album or doing anything? I mean... I- I find it kind of funny. Like my, I said, my wife is like way into Metallica, but thinking about what they're going to put out next just makes me like laugh because I know what we're going to hear. We're going to hear all the previews, all the interviews, all the articles, all the DJs who hear something earlier are going to say, guys, this is it. This really sounds good. It sounds just like the old stuff. And what? Are we really going to hear the same thing again? Maybe, it, maybe it'll be more death magnetic, which I guess is acceptable. But that's like saying, you know, you, you got that C plus, so you kind of passed. But, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. And, Mike, I, I assume you're beyond hope. No, you know, no. I right? I cling to my beautiful memory of 1988. 
Yeah. And I'll just, I'll hold on to that. I mean, it's, you know, it's like I don't have to have that memory of, oh, they really burned me. And I feel so bad that you, and you, you've said over and over, well, you got really hyped up for the new album. They've burned you over and over and over again. But that's the thing. It's not just you. It's everyone. I mean, even the new fans are shitting on the newer material, you know. So yeah. it's just. I mean, it's, even, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, yeah, I was going to speak just, up over you, like, which is a total asshole thing to do. But, oh, great, because uh, I've been doing it over you yeah. all night. Thanks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, here you go, man. Well, whatever. Yeah. Well, damn. Even a band like Primus, and I'm going to bring up Primus because they Ooh, covered the thing that should not be. Um, it did. I yeah, don't know live. It's, 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 oh. it's pretty kick-ass live. <laughs> it's awesome, actually. Better than probably Metallica could play it nowadays. Um, but not better than on the uh, Master of Puppets. No. But um, there's a band like Primus, man, that can evolve and can change and do so many things and explore. You know, you're playing with Tom Waits, with Bernie Worrell from yeah. P-Funk, from, you know, from uh, all kinds of... Trey Anastasio from Fish, yeah. you know, yeah. and you can do amazing things. And uh, the exploration that goes on, I think you have to really look into the nature of your exploration. I mean, are you exploring things purely in terms of of furthering your musical ability and experience? Um, or are you furthering that just because you want to further your band and your music? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of weird. And uh, the only reason, of course, I bring up Primus is because Les tried out for uh, the bass position. He did. That uh, Cliff, I love that. I love <laughs> Yeah, we're not that kind of band, man. All right. I'll go be successful somewhere else. Yeah, well, Les, you've seen the interview with him. uh, And he was like, I cried. I cried like a little schoolgirl. Or Les. (laughs) But actually, I'm I'm happy that uh, neither Les nor Metallica um, was subject to that kind of thing. Because Primus was awesome and Metallica did some great things. But that was not a good fit. No. no. Uh, but uh, I think a good parallel as far as uh, sort of honesty and integrity. Into- Wait, did I just say that? Integrity. Integrity. Right. Don't bring up Lars. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, almost like Primus versus Metallica as far as integrity in the 90s. You know, it's like yeah. that's it's a big... I mean, at least Les Claypool has the common sense. If I want to grow, if I want to try something new, I'll make a flying frog brigade, and I'll go try something there. And I may be a dumbass. People may laugh at me and think I'm fucking stupid, but he doesn't care. No, he's going to do it. And Lars and James are so like, we're so fucking metal. Goddamn, we got to do something. We got to produce. It's got to be metal, and we got to... It's... It's something that it's sort of honesty versus trying to please a certain segment of people. Sure. Ah, damn. I don't know. But uh, we've covered quite a lot tonight. Guys, I mean, Metallica, it's it's uh, clearly 
a complex equation that we're trying to solve here because uh, we don't know. We have a lot of theories and a lot of a lot of uh, uh, sort of variables here. Was it Cliff Burton? Well, was it Jason Newstead? Was it uh, you know James and Lars sort of uh, assuming the leadership role? And I, I don't know. Producers? Was it Bob Rock? I I don't know. It's a lot of variables. I don't know. Wow. Well, so, uh, man, I feel we've helped to, uh, you know, at least sort of uh, clarify a lot of uh, questions as far as Metallica goes in their history and, uh, you know, maybe prompt some uh, good discussion. So I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else? I mean, what is, uh, you know, Metallica to you guys uh, right now? Are they going to do anything? Uh, you know, I don't know, Mike. You 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 don't seem very optimistic towards where they are right now. I mean, they're very old and not well, drinking a whole lot, okay. except for Lars. He's a drunk, but uh. <laughs> right. Well, here's here's what it, here's what made me incredibly happy and incredibly sad a few days ago. If you go onto YouTube and search Nickelback "Sad but True," there's a clip of Nickelback playing "Sad but True," and it sounds so fucking good it makes me angry. <laughs> Dude, that's one of the strange things about "Load and Reload." For as much as we just talked about how much it was a departure for them. There were five to ten years worth of bands coming out that sounded like those those albums and that yeah. sort of post grunge sound. Godsmack, Creed, Nickelback, Shine Down, uh-huh. Theory of a Dead Man, Seether. All these yeah. bands had that sound. So I mean it's amazing how uh those bands <laughs> how it all formed, man. It's they've, weird. Well, they've come and gone. Yeah, and where I've the left Metallica are the, behind. Yeah, where are those I, bands now? Except Metallica is still yeah. somehow releasing albums. I, I'm done <laughs> with them. I'm done, and I, I hope I hope for their sake that they just they just stop. You know, I mean, uh, maybe maybe everybody's wet dream get together with Mustaine and do a little something. I mean, they had the, they had the uh, the concert. There, I think in San Francisco, where they brought everybody back they'd ever played with. They played live with Mustaine. They played with Ron McGovney. All these other guys came in and played live. It's on YouTube. It's a great show. Um, but maybe do one more thing, make all the fans happy, and just be done and go out with some self-respect. Take the money and run, like they've done for years. Why not? <laughs> exactly. I mean, not to be uh, an asshole, but yeah. Uh, okay, status quo. Yeah. So, uh, uh, well, I guess that's it, right, man? That's it. I mean, Nick, I mean, is there anything hopeful for the future of Metallica? Or is it, I mean, <laughs> Through the Never, the movie film from yeah, Metallica. No, fuck it, yeah. dude. I don't care if there is or if there isn't. If it's good, I'll, uh, I'll do it. If not, I, I don't care either. I have yeah. nothing to lose and everything to gain, so let's hope. Yeah. I echo all those uh, remarks right there. I mean, Metallica was definitely one of those bands so influential. One of those bands I love, and they can do no wrong. And then, yeah, they sort of proved that they are human. (laughs) You know, they can do wrong. And uh, that sort of, uh, I don't know, it it, it sort of pumps me up a little bit and sort of influenced me a little bit to, to know that, yeah, these guys that I love so much, they're 
they can write shitty songs too. And I've been writing a lot of shitty songs myself for a long time. And maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm like them. I don't know. You know, it's sort of, they're very, <laughs> they've been very humanized as of late. So, uh, I don't know. That's cool. And if, if they'd never been so damn good, it wouldn't matter. But for fuck's sake, yeah. there was nothing better at one point. Yeah. Unparalleled, un- unchallenged, unquestionable. Yeah. Yeah. So How the mighty have fallen. Oh, they have. They rose and they fell. And whatever happened to Metallica, I don't know. That is up to your judgment. But, uh, guys, this has been a great, great first episode. I'm so happy. Yeah, to so, do this. Oh my god. I, I'm much more optimistic about our future than theirs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so what is in our future? What are we doing next week? Oh, well, this time? is an album review that uh I'm sure that uh, Mike Zombie has uh in our midst here. So Mike, do you know what we're going to be talking about? Next I episode? do. Now, now the the album I'm going to bring to the table is um, a grindcore stoner band from Australia called Blood Duster. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, I bought this album many years ago because of the album cover. It's a dead person's face, and it's all jacked up. And I'm like, well, I'm going to check this out. And I was so pleasantly pleased. It was an absolutely brutal album. These guys mix... Uh, they sample from a lot of horror films, um, Bad Taste and Rabbit and a bunch of others, uh, uh, Cemetery, no, um, uh, Dead Alive, all kinds of good stuff wow. in these clips and these intros, and they are just fucking brutal. Now, the album is called, is called Yeast, Y-E-E-S-T, from Blood Duster, 1980, or 1996 Relapse Records, uh, and I will, I will make sure you guys get a copy of that. But it is, uh, and they're still around today, and they don't do much touring outside of Australia and don't seem to want to, but they are just heavy as shit. So, wow. That'll be next week. I can't wait to get into that. And, uh, man, yeah, it's going to be a great time. But uh, we will be talking about that. But uh, at the same time, uh, Nick. Man, you got a podcast. We talk about that uh, at the beginning of the show. But uh, mm-hmm. remind us again about uh, the brilliance that we know as the Slasher Cast. Right. You can find Slasher Cast on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Uh, you can find our website at slashercast.net. My website is newjerseynick.com. If you want to say, hey, asshole, you're totally wrong about Metallica, or hey, Nick, uh-huh. you're a great, funny guy, you could say it to me on Twitter at New Jersey Nick. Um, and then that's pretty much it, man. If you want to find me, please let us know how we're doing and reach out to yeah. us at devil horns cast on Twitter or anywhere else on our Facebook, our email, dude, let us know what you want to hear too. put out requests. Let us know what's cool, dude. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Nick. And, uh, Mike zombie, man, thank you again. Um, awesome. Thank you. I, I, I could talk about uh, metal with you all day and all night. And, <laughs> and I'm sure in the, the fullness of time, you yeah. certainly will. <laughs> oh, my God. But uh, A Little Dead Podcast is an awesome show, so tell us about that. Thank you, sir. Yes, uh, McPierce and myself uh, talk about horror movies. I do the weekly zombie review, but Daryl has always got all the, the good horror, comic, zombie, nerd news, science news. He's got it all. The guy's freaking computer is kind of scary. We're at a littledead.com. 
on uh, iTunes and Stitcher as well. You can find me occasionally at faildozer.com. Uh, what else? You can uh, Twitter at uh, it's your pal Mike Z. And uh, yeah, and occasionally I've been heard on a metal show on another awesome show called The Electric Chair. That show Why don't you sucks. tell us? Oh, fuck no, it doesn't. Why don't you tell us about it? Bullshit. Well, and that's sort of why this here show is in existence. Uh, yeah, I do a show called The Electric Chair. Um, it's uh, a review show, uh, an interview show. I just talk with people that uh, like the same kind of horror things that I do. And uh, I have a heart for independent uh, horror producers and directors and what have you. And uh, that same kind of thing sort of uh, spills through to what I talk about in terms of music and metal, and it's really cool. But uh, Mike and I were talking about metal, and it was so awesome. So, uh, yeah, electrichairshow.com is uh, one of my podcasts. I do another one at uh, evilepisodes.com, and that's a lot of fun with uh, the TV horror. And, uh, man, I'm... I'm very much an internet whore right now. I do so much out there. I mean, it's crazy. But uh, thank you, guys, man. This has been, I think, a very epic uh, first episode and something that, uh, I don't know, either good or bad sort of sets the, you know, sets the bar for what we're going to yeah. talk about next, you know? It's it's our kill em all. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Just, just kill me before our load oh, or our reload, well. please. Just <laughs> smother me. Yeah. Don't yeah. say that. You might get crushed under the bus before. Oh my God, that was terrible. Why would oh, I say oh that? Oh my Ooh. God, the last thing I want to see is Mike Zombie's legs, you know, sort of hanging out from under <laughs> the bus. Me too. That's the last <laughs> right. thing I want to see. This is not it the might. fucking Buddy Holly plane. Oh, no, right. it, it might literally be the last thing you see. <laughs> it might be. Well, well, we're going to hell. We're going, going to hell, basket. and, and you guys are too for listening. So until Thank next you for time. Listening. Good night. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Thank you. You've been listening to Devil Horns. Join us at devilhorns.org.